The Gift was a powerful episode filled with both emotional and plotline-oriented highs and lows. Said another way, it had great moments and sad moments, strong scenes and weak scenes. Episode 7 was a dense one, charged by powerful music and excellent dialogue, with the cherry-on-top satisfaction of an ending most all of us can get behind, something we haven't had in a while. It appears that the fandom in general is quite happy with this episode overall, and personally I agree. We'll go into great detail as to why. That said, it was not without its flaws, and we'll certainly cover those as well. As usual, we will focus on the good, but not shy away from calling a spade a spade. Above all, in eventual importance is a major theme we've been hearing about since the beginning of the series, and it's just now starting to make itself known. I'm referring to the warning reflected in the words of House Stark. Winter is coming. So hello and welcome again to another episode of History of Westeros Podcast, a podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire book series, as well as HBO's Game of Thrones. Of course, this is a show-only episode. We will not discuss the books at all. Focus entirely on the HBO series. We're having a lot of fun with that. I'm particularly fired up about this episode, uh, not just because it had a lot of caffeine and sugar, but it was unlike last week, which left some of us feeling a little deflated, even though it was, you know, it had a lot to like about it. This episode was just, you know, there was the ending. I think that it's interesting to think about how the ending of the episode kind of sets the tone for how you feel about it, even though, like, so many other things may have happened and, and occurred throughout the way. So, welcome back, Sean. Good to have you here again. We have a lot to talk about. You said that you had more notes than usual on this episode. Yes. I, uh, so, sometimes I realize having the number of notes I have doesn't necessarily equate to how long our podcast is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I definitely have more talking points I wanted to hit than typical here. Right on. Well, first of all, we'll do like we usually do and take a look at the show from a high level, discuss that for a few moments. I thought the themes of this episode, of course, entitled The Gift, was there was a lot of helplessness, especially amongst rulers. Tom and Eamon, Sam and Gilly, although Eamon, Sam and Gilly aren't rulers, but they are helpless. Brienne, a bit helpless. Theon, also a bit helpless. Sansa, extremely helpless, although she's making her, she's starting to figure a few things out, maybe. Jamie and Bronn and the Sand Snakes all in prison. Marcella, kind of not an unwilling captive, but she couldn't leave if she wanted to. Marjorie and Loras, quite clearly, another two that are helpless right now, even though Loras technically isn't in the episode. Cersei, perfect example of a ruler, now helpless. Jorah and Tyrion in chains. In, of, of course, in the first scene, we have Tormund freed from captivity, one of the few people mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not having their options reduced. And along the lines of helplessness, Especially amongst rulers in captivity, we have people with a lack of options, with only tough choices to make, like John and Danny, the line that she's the only person in Marine that's not free, and Stannis and Shireen. And of course, as I alluded to with my preamble intro there, the biggest limiter of options in A Song of Ice and Fire might be winter. So a lot of that to go on with. All right, so we, like we said, there's a lot to talk about this episode. We have a lot of notes. So we're not going to waste any time. Let's go straight to the wall. John Tormund and Alistair. What are your What are your impressions of this? Was kind of a quick scene. They're They're heading out and they're talking about you know John is uh, looks like there's some looming danger there. Nobody was happy with Tormund being set yeah. free. It was a, a particular. It didn't click in my head until I was watching it the second time. That that sort of like confrontation. Uh, <laughs> From a distance of Tormund and Alistair, because they were fighting it out. Like yeah. uh, 
the, the last that they we had really seen them interact. So I can see, you know, on some level, I feel like Alistair, he's stubborn and tough and doesn't like John, but I still wonder if underneath it all, he, he understands on some level what's got to be done. He doesn't like it, and he sort of represents all the people that don't like it. But I don't, I don't know. I, I can't decide what to think about this character. He still respects, yeah. he seems to respect the institution of, of the Night's Watch. Yeah. You I thought it was an interesting like yeah. interaction <laughs> between him and John when he, I, I feel like he's, has genuine care. He is trying to be a good leader. He's like, look, you don't want to hear it. Kind of like Davos talking to Stannis. Like, you don't want to hear this, but look, this is foolhardy. This is risky. You're upsetting the men, you know? Like, he's, uh, on some level, he has the best interest of the Night's Watch in, in mind. And to that end, is trying to respect John as the Lord Commander. You know what I mean? He could have been more insubordinate about it, but uh, John didn't give him a chance anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a next, and the next scene at the wall we'll discuss is Sam, Gilly, Eamon, and again, Alistair makes an appearance at the end of this scene, in a sense. We have Eamon making another mention of suggesting to Gilly to take the babe south, which is interesting. It's another foreshadowing of what might be coming. We discussed the possibility of, of Old Town or something like that. It was certainly hinted at a lot in not the, not the last episode, but a couple episodes ago. And we have a very sad death scene here. Eamon with his, I dreamt I was old. And the music really added to it. The acting was great. What did you think about about that scene and, and the way Sam and Gilly were not refusing to leave his side and, and his final moments? It was, obviously, it was sad. I like Ammon. I, I can imagine his character might be even more fleshed out in the books. I think one of the saddest moments for me of the series was when uh, Maestro Lewin died mm. in uh, Winterfell. I feel like, the for the most part, the Meisters, I feel like, are such... I don't know if innocent's quite the right word, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they seem to be good natured. They seem very wise and honest and knowledgeable and helpful. And it's so tragic for them to die. And uh, Some of the other characters, even the heroic characters, they're still kind of putting themselves in harm's way. You know, they, they almost, part of their character is to be brave and to risk death. But these Meisters are trying to preserve, you know, and for them to pass is really a, a big loss, I feel. And yeah. never mind their their character and their personality, but just their value as men is so great for them to be lost. I think they appeal also to, in a sense, the what is more likely to be a, a somewhat typical of a Game of Thrones viewer, people who are interested in not, you know, not, not, not necessarily being interested in servitude, but interested in knowledge and in, in being curious about the world and in trying to learn things and that's i think that's a lot of represents a lot of of you watchers out there people who are curious and want to learn things so i think the the, the idea of a maester is appealing to a lot of people who are the type to be fans of game of thrones in the first place and really and his funeral scene really drove home the point of how important and respected he was you know half he served under half a dozen lord commanders he was on the wall since I think approximately 236 AC, and it's about 300 AC now. I mean, it's possible he's the longest tenured maester on the wall of all time, which is really saying something, but I could definitely see it being the case. 
Is it possible he's one of the longest tenured maesters, period? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I would think so. Very few people lived, I mean, he lived to be 101. Can you like, how often do you yeah. really, how often can we expect someone to live to even be 80 in Westeros or even 70? You know, with, with the lack of understanding of modern medicine and all the war and, and death and everything. Yeah, it's not very likely that someone gets to that age. Even a maester who is going to have better care than most, he's going to know how to take care of himself a little better. So one thing that, and is a question for me was answered by the, the funeral scene is that his being burned there, his body being burned was uh, shown in the preseason trailers. And I was wondering who that was. In retrospect, it should have been obvious. I should have realized that would be Eamon because his, his death was, was pretty likely this season. But I didn't catch that. Glad to see that satisfied that that uh, loop is closed now. Now, what did you think of what Alistair said during the during the funeral was that do you think that was a threat or was that a warning or maybe a little of both a little of both I, I think that Alistair still is like has a you know a bitterness in him but I I don't think Alistair wants Sam to die hmm. you know what I mean but I do think he wants Sam to be tough you're on the wall you're supposed to be tough you need to be tough Sam come on you're losing your friends you need to be tough yeah. look out you know I could see it that way now, interestingly enough, later in the episode, we're confronted with the topic of king's blood and how important that is and how Melisandre wants that. Well, Aemon had king's blood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was a Targaryen, of course, but that opportunity is now gone. <laughs> that was the thing I, I wondered about a little bit because it seemed like this secretive, I don't know if that's quite the right word, you know, this reveal for, for John or Sam or whoever to, to realize, oh, you're Aemon Targaryen. Oh, whoa, really? Was it like that for everyone, or does everyone in the wall know? Maybe a lot of people in the wall are just uneducated, they don't know who that is anyway. And maybe the people who have been there a long time, like Alistair Thorne, knew. And so maybe John and Sam were educated enough it would be meaningful for them to learn that about him, whereas not everyone on the wall. But it just seemed like at the funeral, Sam just said it. Yeah. And it wasn't like everyone was like, what? Oh, really? It was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was real, da-da-da. Everyone seemed to know. Yeah, Seems right. like Melisandre would know. Doesn't seem too far-fetched for her to try to get some of his blood. Maybe old blood doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) So the final scene at the wall is Sam and Gilly and Ghost and two nameless watchmen. I thought this was the weakest scene of the episode. It was good to see Sam's bravery. I like that. I like seeing him stand up for Gilly. It reinforces a theme we talked about before is that he's not brave on his own. But he's brave for when other people, or people he cares about, are threatened. He stands up for Gilly. He stands up for his friends. He's a bit of a coward when it comes to his him, his own self. Although that seems to be changing a bit too, wouldn't you say? Yeah, in general, he's had more experience in the world. He's you know faced some toughnesses, faced some trials, some even maybe we'll say some failures. You're going through that. You know, he. I'm guessing his character started off around twenty at most. You know, you're just naturally life is going to toughen you up a little bit. Yeah. He, he isn't like a new man per se, but he's definitely a lot different than he was when he first showed up at the wall. True that. Now, what about Ghost showing up? What did you? How did you feel about that? I thought it was a little kind of exciting moment. I feel like in general, I have less awareness of people who've read all the books, but I, I did kind of take note that the wolves were much more present in the first book than in the show. And uh, I can imagine that's there's probably a lot of reasons it's hard. Money, yeah, yeah CGI, to budgetarily yeah. to get them in there, working around that, it might be tricky. And uh, 
I don't know how completely integral. I feel like a lot of the scenes where the wolves were there, I don't know how necessary they really were. I suppose there's lots of things that aren't necessary. You can kind of pick and choose what adds excitement to the show or the book or whatever. It does seem like John should have more of a connection with ghosts. It should get referenced more often. We should get at least a token scene here and there. And I almost feel like that, on one hand, maybe they should have set that up. Like, when John's leaving, he should have said goodbye to Ghost. But then maybe it would have made it too obvious that Ghost is going to show up and save <laughs> Sam yeah. here. Uh, the way I like to think about it is that John was aware that Sam is in danger without him there, that he might get, you know, in Gilly as well. And so that's why he left Ghost. Because kind of in a, in one hand, it'd be like, John's going on this dangerous mission. Why isn't he bringing Ghost with him? Yeah. But that could be why. And from other, there's some indication that, that John will have to go over water a bit which would make having ghost awkward as well yeah he can't go hunting while they're on the boats so then we have sam and gilly having sex which is a bit of an inconsistency from what they had mentioned before we've we talked about there's a line about how only a whore would be able to have sex so soon after being raped or almost being raped but this is where I point out that wildling attitude towards rape is much different than the rest of the Seven Kingdoms. It's certainly much different than our modern human perspective on rape, which is that the wildlings, that's kind of how they do it. <laughs> that's, they, women expect to be carried off by a man because it proves how strong the man is and clever. And if he can steal you away from your family, then he's a worthy, a worthy husband. It's a very different attitude that's really kind of hard for some of us to wrap our heads around but i do think that is at least a consistency there that's why gilly wasn't all that traumatized by it at least that is how i choose to explain it i think that fits well it's, i'm sure that other people have different opinions what about you sean uh, i wasn't sure if you remembered that if that occurred to you about how the wildlings view it differently or if if you thought that this was a bit of an inconsistency as well i think Egret even mentions that you know, well, this is, you know, this is how it works, blah, blah. Uh, I, I didn't, I didn't consider uh, hardly any of that. I thought more, to me, it seemed more like she was just rescued. Of course she's going to, like, you know, come to the man that just rescued her, that Sam kind of, like... Uh, yeah, he was really brave for her, and so that yeah. would be, yeah, that would be compelling. Um, I, it didn't occur to me how traumatized she might have been by the scenario or the idea that only a horror would da 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 I, I guess that was a line that someone spoke earlier, but... Yeah. Uh, I, I forget who it was. <laughs> I wasn't considering any of that, really. I was just considering that she's in the arms of the man that she loves, who just saved her from this dramatic experience. And it, uh, they already love kind each of, other, yeah. It's been sort of this unrequited love for a long time anyway. To me, it, I don't know, kind of made sense. The back of my mind was more spinning on, I guess Sam's already kind of justified the vowel thing. He's already kind of like found his loophole of how this is justified <laughs> yeah. and maybe i'm wondering how much fear there is of her getting pregnant again or how that will be handled or it, it was interesting that she seemed much more concerned she seemed more willing to get raped than to, for sam to be killed does that yeah. make sense mm -hmm. like look sam i don't care if they rape me i mean not that she doesn't care but not as much as i care about you i don't want you dying trying to protect me does that make yeah. sense it's yeah. not worth it you know um, i think that ties into the wilding attitude towards rape she's more prepared to yeah deal I, with that i will say i don't know how much her attitude would be in line with the rest of the wildlings so she was more secluded from them right wasn't that whole camp that she was raised in that's a very good had point. a different mentality about society or rape or anything you know yeah, i can't she, imagine she, how she just grew up with craster that's, uh, <laughs> that's a microcosm how uh, screwed up her mind might be from her upbringing in the first place you know her 
and all her sisters and nieces and aunts yeah, and everyone. Know, having, like, <laughs> I don't know even how aware she was of what was going on, but she seemed to understand that the babies, you know, weren't safe. You know, whether yeah. uh, she told the story about how the ones with grayscale were just sent out in the woods and she must be aware of how the boys are all killed. So she might have very skewed perspective on the value of life or personal liberty or freedom or whatever else, you know, I can't imagine uh, how tough a life Gilly must have had, you know, when certain characters, even Sam, not that he's had the best life, but he's had it easy compared to Gilly, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's go ahead and go elsewhere in the North. Let's, speaking of the possibility of being pregnant, that's an uncomfortable thought. The idea that Sansa is pregnant with Ramsay's child, he, she mentions that she's, you know, he comes to her every night, and soon after she, she talk, he talks about how, you know, how attracted he is to her, etc. And her arms are covered with bruises, so clearly the abuse is, is escalated, potentially. Um, and we have the scene with the candle, and I guess that revealed to us that it was Brienne connected to this old woman. We weren't quite sure we thought maybe it was a trap now there's still some confusion there because something some things maybe don't add up properly so let's talk about that what are your thoughts on the whole candle situation were you first of all were you fooled by theon walking did you think he was going to put the candle they did a really good job i think that it was uh kind of misleading us and because uh, it, it there's been a lot of like theon's chances I, I, again i'm kind of comparing it to how john kept giving me being given these opportunities and i i'm not sure we'll see but i I kind of felt like the whole way john's too deep he's not going back now he's committed i'm starting to feel that way about reek we keep getting these chances for him to do something and he's not taking them i think it's i think he's just gone you know i think he's just a minion of uh of ramsey and Hmm. there he's beyond hope i'm not sure but i feel similar to way John was given opportunity after opportunity. He's like, nope, made my vows. Nope, sorry. Nope, not being seduced by Melisandre. Nope, not twisting words of the vow for Davos' interpretation. Not accepting Stannis' legitimization. Not being tempted by going back to Winterfell as a Stark. Sticking to the wall. I feel like Reek, same thing. Nope, not going to stab Ramsay in the back. Nope, not going to help Sansa out. Not going to, nope, nope. Sticking to my torturer. Yeah, it was an awkward moment for me, too, because I obviously wanted Sansa to get rescued. I want to see what Brienne's got to do. But I also would have been a little disappointed, in a way, if it was that easy for, for Reek to, to come around. You know, yeah. that, it's too much. He's, Ramsey's just done too much to him. Just one talking to, one guilt trip. As effective as it was, Sansa said the right things, I think it's going to take more than that if if there's anything that can do it. Yeah. Like, if it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. Uh, And if it is, I guess, I think it's going to be in the heat of the moment. I think it's going to be a battle scene. I think it's literally going to be while Brienne is fighting... Someone. You know, (laughs) uh, Davos or something, and Ramsey's (laughs) just got done raping Sansa and comes into the room, and Theon sees all this guy. Yeah, I don't know. I... Um, I will say one thing, though. I don't necessarily think that Brienne is even connected to that woman that was, uh, you know, trying to rescue her, the candle, whatever. It's possible, but we... Uh, I, I wasn't sure, but she's staring at the tower. It, made it, it certainly made it look like she was staring at the tower. Yeah, she might be waiting for some move or some indication, but I can't even think of what it is. That, that's, that's what was going through my mind. 
let's say he did. Let's say he went up and lit the candle. And Brian's like, oh, time to go. Let's just walk up and knock on the front gates and, hey, yeah, let you... me in. I'm going to rescue Sansa now. Like, uh, I don't understand. That doesn't make sense to me. I, I was sort of assuming it's more of like a movement by servants, you know, commoners who just are loyal to Sansa, who maybe know like some back passage or have access to a key that, that would be willing and able to like sneak her out of there, not necessarily mount a revolution or stand up with a sword. Maybe they're connected to Brienne. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I was not assuming Brienne was even connected to that plot of lighting the candle. I, I, I wasn't assuming that. I, I'm not saying there's no way it's possible. I just, I don't think that's what was about to happen. So if that, if that is what happened, then we might have to assume that Ramsay knows about Brienne because if he tortured this old woman and she, 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 he says that she was tough and she died, her heart stopped before he got to her face, which might mean she didn't talk about Brienne. You might think, well, well then why didn't Ramsay bring that up to Sansa? Well, Sansa doesn't know about Brienne. Well, mm-hmm. he doesn't, she, she doesn't know she's out there. Obviously she knows that Brienne is out there. They had that encounter at the end of the crossroads or whatever that end was earlier in the season, but she doesn't know that Brienne is outside Winterfell so if Ramsay tortured that information out of the old woman, he has no reason to tell Sansa that. He might want to go investigate that on his own, or he might be ready for her. So I'm a little worried about Brienne. <laughs> She's definitely biting off a lot here, <laughs> one yeah. way or the other. Like you said, how can she even get into the castle there, etc.? I wonder how aware she is, by the way. I wonder if she knows that Stannis is on the way. She probably does. She yeah. She probably doesn't. She might know that Stannis is in the north, but that might not be common knowledge. Um, that's a Bruce and Ramsay seem to know that he's on the way. They do, but right? they are, of so, course they have scouts and spies yeah, and all that. Yeah. So, but yeah, whether Brienne knows or not is a big mystery at this point, and it would it might be nice for them to to tell us whether she knows or not. Yeah, I remember thinking it was. Uh, I remember thinking such treachery. That's like the phrase that went to my mind when that scene was unfolding, both from Theon to betray Sansa and also the showrunners to trick us, you know, <laughs> make us think. Because I was, my heart was pounding. I was, Theon's going through the snow, up those stairs. I was like, is, is he going to do it? Is he really going to? I didn't believe he was going to do it, but then it seemed like he was. And he walked in and Ramsay was there. And even at that moment, you weren't sure if he was going to tell on Ramsay or was that... Ramsey waiting up in that room all along? Did Ramsey already know? Or <laughs> yeah. was this just a separate thing? Right? You know, I, I was really uncertain about how it was going to go. And it, yeah, it was well done. Very yeah, well done. Uh, frustratingly well done. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Ramsey and Sansa talking to each other. It was pretty good banter there. Kind of, kind of along the lines of what we predicted. We, we predicted that this is we, what Sansa would do to kind of get at Ramsey, to talk about his bastardy. I did not see the the line about Tommen coming. That was that was great. Yeah. Um, and do you think that's any kind of foreshadowing? Maybe. Any any? You think that might actually come? I like. On one hand, you could think, well, does it matter? Ramsey, you know, they're they're kind of in a state where they're sort of set up to be against the Lannisters anyway because of the whole thing Littlefinger's doing. But on the other hand. That definitely could be a thing, either questions of legitimization, questions of bastardy, questions of the line of succession, whether or not his legitimization is legit. <laughs> you, uh, thought, you think I thought, you think about that much? I hadn't thought about it too much other than I'm, I am sort of going off the assumption that, that Roos is just using Ramsey, that, uh, that he's just telling him what he wants to hear as long as he... I think Roos is willing to drop 
Ramsey off as soon as he's not valuable anymore. You know, when or how that will be. If ever, you know, I don't know, maybe Ramsey will prove himself. I guess he sort of has, but I feel like he's also on thin ice with the Roos in the first place. Mm. And uh, maybe we could talk about it more, but I am wondering what's going to come with Tommen at this point. I wonder, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. uh, what authority he will, who will, who will respect his authority? Will the King's Guard still follow what he says? I don't know. We'll get to that later, I guess. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So the other the other moment here is Ramsey was restrained in his, after Sansa's dart throwing here needling of him and I he he got his face got angry for a minute but I think he was and I think he may have been less controlled about that if he wasn't about to surprise her with the flayed woman there he was kind of like oh well I'm gonna show you yeah but the other important moment there was the reveal to Sans from Sansa's perspective about John being Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. So we've been discussing whether or not Sansa is well. There's three possibilities, three large scale possibilities. One, Sansa, you know, somehow fires up the North and gets the Boltons out of Winterfell from within. Two, she escapes. Three, neither. Either she dies or just is still Ramsay's captive by the end of the season or something like that. So forgetting the third possibility. The second possibility, maybe we—I I was favoring the first possibility based on the, the, her comments about how her being in her home and how it made her stronger. And this is my home. That line, she's already said that line twice this season. But now she's got a place to escape too, potentially. She she has at least um, in her in her mind what could seem like a, a place to go hide if she can get to the wall. Did did that is that something that occurred to you? Do you think? Do you have any thoughts on the possibility of Sansa going to the wall? I don't know. I guess it's possible, but I don't know if that's a. Is, is that I'm not John sure how much more that's. Much? I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how much more likely that is, just because John's there. Like, if you know, if she feels she needs to go somewhere to hide. A, I feel like the wall is so far away. John being there or not, it's it's too far away. And if she was willing to go there, if John's there, it seems like she's willing to go there if John's not there. I'm not sure. Uh, it, it did seem like a moment they wanted us to see there. But I will point out, there was another important thing that happened there. Yep. She picked something up off that barrel, mm, some yep, sort yep. of screw or some sort of device. It might be a weapon of sorts that uh, I don't know if it's something that she might might use against Ramsey. At first, I was thinking she's just going to stab Ramsey in the back. Maybe she's going to stab Theon. Maybe <laughs> it's not even going to be a weapon. Maybe it'll be a way to like pick a lock, break out, escape you know, in the middle of the night or something. Sure. I'm not sure, but... Uh, but they, that's another thing they definitely wanted to make sure we saw her pick that thing up. The other argument against Sansa fleeing north is, well, what we see with Stannis. There's this huge snowstorm. Yeah. How is she going to get through? How, how could she get through that? I assume it's easier for a person or maybe two or three people to travel than it is for an army. They have to have so much armor and food and so many things to have to go along with thousands of men moving across and just a small, you know, two or three people. Not to say it would be easy, and I, I, I seem to remember not a not nearly as much was made of it in the show as in the books, but it was like a a journey, you know. It was it was like no small feat just to make it to the wall, you know. So there's right on. bandits on the road, weather, it's cold, you know, it's a long journey, et cetera, et cetera. So of course, speaking of Stannis, let's go ahead and move on to Stannis, Davos, and Melisandre. A very emotional circumstances here this is a this is probably making a lot of people anxious myself included davos tells stannis how bad things are they've got 40 horses have died overnight 
And of course, as I alluded to at the beginning, the intensity of the snow here could be a, a sign of things to come. I would expect it is. Winter is coming. I don't think that's just the house stark words. I think uh, we can all we all know that we all get the sense that that is definitely going to be a thing that uh, continues to increase and be more important, less of a backdrop, more of a thing that more and more characters have to deal with on a regular basis. Now, Melisandre talks about her visions after Stannis gives his no, we're definitely going for it. What do you think, first of all, of Stannis's strategy and his, his decision that it's all or nothing? I think that it makes a lot of sense. In general, for this scene, I want to point out, especially after last week, I just pointed out the difference in the different leaders and their councils and how Stannis, generally speaking, listens to his council. This week, not listening to his council. Oh, you're right. Good point. Davos is like, look, sorry, we can't do this. The weather's too tough. It's not the time. It's like, no, we're doing it one way or the other. Melisandre's just like, oh, yes, we're doing it one way or the other. All you have to do is sacrifice your daughter. What? Not sacrifice my daughter. Get out of here. <laughs> so, uh, for better or worse, I'm not sure. But he's not listening to his counsel right now. I think it was, it makes a lot of sense, especially given his sort of his drive and his rush. You know, we let's go now, let's go now. But wait, we could get more men at the wild. I don't care. We need to go now. We're losing time. We got to go. Winter's coming. So all right, they head out. You know, now winter's here and it's tougher than they thought, quicker than they thought. Davos is like trying to be the realist. Like, like we can't, we're not going to make it through this. I mean, maybe we'll make it through this, but we're going to lose a lot of men on the way down. We won't have a full force Davis like, well, then we'll just lose or win without a full force. You know, I can <laughs> see he has momentum and drive to, to go. But I'm sure at least part of that is coming from Melisandre's confidence. And Melisandre's confidence is coming from this assumption that she's going to sacrifice Shireen. And uh, I, my expectation is Stannis won't do it. Stannis is not going to sacrifice Shireen. Whether he'll just, like, push through and let all the men die of exposure and starvation and get to the castle and not have a force to fight with or whether he'll concede and withdraw like Davos wants you know uh I don't think he's going to sacrifice Shireen that's it Salise might sacrifice Shireen hmm doesn't mean Melisandre doesn't mean it won't happen someone yeah it could, and, it could be done without his permission absolutely yes and once it was done without his permission I wonder what what then because like, I think yeah, even if somehow down. Stannis was convinced, even if Stannis is like, all right, fine, I'll sacrifice my daughter. I just don't see it. I just don't see it in his character. But let's say somehow he was convinced. I don't know if Davos would keep following him. I don't. I think Davos, I'm out of here. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean all the mercenaries leave, but some they of them might. Care. I don't think they care uh, about that. But, um, Davos would, but I don't think the mercenaries would care. That's yeah. As a whole, I don't think they would. They're getting paid still. <laughs> right, but I still can't help but assume that on some level, Davos' leadership is making a difference here. The, on one hand, sure, the mercenaries just want the money. But on the other hand, some of them left. and But they left because of the cold. Right. And so they're kind of like gauging, is this cold worth the money? A leader can say, yes, it's worth it. Come on. Don't forget about glory, too. So on and so on. There's value to leadership. They're, they're, you know, we, they might not be showing it of Davos. Maybe Davos isn't doing it. But I, I want to believe that he's a leader. I want to believe he's important to Stannis for a reason. I want to believe that he isn't just a random dude, that he's a great leader in his position. And uh, I don't know. I think Davos is among the least likely to abandon their leader because of how he's been built up. I think that even burning Shireen wouldn't make him abandon her. 
I, I abandoned him. I want to agree with you, except that I think a couple things. One, we've seen a bond between him and Shireen as much as between him and Stannis. No, I don't think the bond is that strong. It I don't think strong. it is. It's I'm just talking about what we have seen. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, as a viewer of the show, like there's all this backstory to him and Stannis, but we see him in jail with Shireen. We see him learning how to read. We see them talking and like, oh, yeah, your mommy's mean. You know, like we see a bond between them. Maybe not as strong as him and Stannis. But it doesn't have to be that... There's a difference between, like, having a disagreement over strategy and murdering a little girl, mm-hmm. your own daughter, that I was friends with. It's like, how far can he be pushed? Yeah, but what if it works? Well, two things. One... <laughs> what, right, if that, he burns what, her, what if she's burned and right. it works? That was part of what I was building up to. Is <laughs> I, I, was, I was supposing that, let's say, men leave because it's too cold. Davos leaves, even though Stannis doesn't want to... Let's, I was going to say, sorry, let me back up. I was going to say, say Stannis did do it, whether Davos left or not. I, I, I was thinking if Stannis did do it, which I don't think he will, Davos might leave. But that even if Stannis does do it, I think Solis and Melisandre might still do it. One way or the other, what does Stannis do next? Is Stannis like, oh, I can't believe you did that, but now I have Winterfell. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what his after the fact would be if he would accept it. But then get rid of Melisandre if he would accept it and keep sticking with it. Well, that's how that's how Stannis is. Remember what yeah. did he do to Davos when Davos was Davos still got punished for being a smuggler and was still rewarded for his rescue. I think yeah. that is what Stannis does. So, so I he's think he's gonna punish Melisandre, but still keep her around. How's he gonna punish her? Chop her fingers off? Or? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But I think that that is that's how he handles things. So I think that that it's a chance that that's what happens here. If assuming Shireen actually gets burned, which I haven't you know yeah. no I, no idea whether that really will happen or not. My my prediction and fear is she's going to, but it but Stannis won't do it. I I think it's just not in his range. It wasn't even close. He's like, what? Are you crazy? Get out of here! He almost couldn't believe that he was hearing it. Yeah, it, it wasn't. It didn't seem to be like some middle ground or potential compromise. It wasn't even close. Like, nah, fro, nah, nah. Get yeah. it. forget it. He um, didn't. He he wasn't. He he was clear but he wasn't like he didn't raise his voice or anything he didn't get really angry it's almost like he was sort of considering it but he was so disgusted by it he wasn't willing to think about it but in the back of his mind he may have been thinking about it i wondered also why there was no mention of of Balon Greyjoy here because she brings up specifically she says the usurper rob stark you should really he, he could have come back with yeah but no Balon Greyjoy he's still alive which that that conversation may still yet happen and i considered that that might be something that turns Stannis also. If he gets news that Balon dies, like that could happen at some point this season. Yeah. I don't know how he's going to get news in the middle of a snowstorm like that. But let's say that does happen somehow. That might be the final thing that convinces him that the magic is worth it. Or that at least that it, could, that it will work. Not necessarily that it's worth it. Because he's, part, cause he's he also questions her visions. He's like, are you sure about this? Because she says she sees herself at Winterfell walking along the... And he said, I don't even know what I saw. I don't know what I saw. Yeah. yeah. And we should consider as, as watchers that she could see, be seeing something wrong too. Because she's gotten, her visions have been wrong several times. She's been, cl- she's been s- close to the mark sometimes, right on the mark a few times, and way off other times. And, well, it could be something as simple as maybe she sees... Sansa, maybe that's who she's seeing on the walls of Winterfell. They have the same yeah, color hair, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or it could be possible. something like I don't know. It could, there's there's other possibilities, but the, she also sees the Bolton banners on the ground, you know. But that could be for some other reason too. There, it doesn't necessarily mean they've been defeated. So 
it's it's very difficult to 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 pick out there, but it's very interesting, and it, I I can see why. You can even see the way we're. I wouldn't say this is a heated discussion, but we're both. You can, a little bit of anxiety is coming out <laughs> because it's yeah. like, wow, what is going to happen here? We neither of us want to see Shireen burned, <laughs> <laughs> and we definitely don't want Stannis to decide it. I think uh, if it happens, it will be a silver lining if it happens without Stannis' knowledge. We, they with with that whole mother or, or rather father daughter scene they had, it would just be so tragic and just hurtful to us viewers to have to have because Stannis is just now becoming really like he's getting more fleshed out he's becoming really I've always been a Stannis fan but he's a lot more likable now at this point he's he's gained a lot of dimension and just to have that come along just to immediately have him do something awful would be pretty sad (laughs) pretty tragic so we'll have to wait and see all right let us move on to Dorn. First off, real quick, through Amazon.com, you can get lots of awesome Game of Thrones merchandise, music, movies. This week, we're going to feature the Game of Thrones board game. I've played the board game a lot myself, probably too much. It's <laughs> not a, a short game, but it is a fun game. You get to, it's a game with low levels of randomness. You get to, it has a great feel to it, has the Game of Thrones feel to it. This is a, a homemade version of it right behind us right here. This is a nine-player version, and the standard game is for six players. One day we might do an episode where we tell stories from the board game. There's a lot of good ones. Anyway, check that out, historyofwesteros.com, board game link on the right. Dorn. Let's talk about Dorn. Watchner Brando J mentions that the filming in this area was rushed. We acted like we actually brought that up as a as almost like a joke. It's like they just what, what do they just only have a few days to shoot in this area? Well, yeah, that is what they had. Tourism was suspended in that area, but they can only do that for so long because tourism is such a important source of income. So yeah, they apparently they only had approximately ten days. So that does does I mean you might ask. Well, why didn't they just film somewhere else? <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about Darnell and Marcella. Of course, Darnell is Jamie. Good old Cooper and Darnell. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to stop calling them that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really, it's become very complicated, hasn't it? She doesn't want to get rescued. It is interesting to, to start seeing a little bit of Marcella. She's been a, a, a character that's been referenced in a show for a long time, and I, I've even wondered about how that role was going to play out for, you know, more than a season. But uh, n- now we're kind of actually seeing her have lines of dialogue, have her own sort of intentions and expectations. And uh, she says she's been there for years. Yeah, which I, that makes sense. I, my guess is two or three years at most is kind of piecing a timeline together in my head. But that's a large percent of her adult life, you know. You're not barely aware of what's going on in the world around you until you're, I don't know, seven-ish or something probably. Yeah. And so probably half of her conscious life or something, she's been there. And yeah, this uh, she's developing her own bonds with people around her. There's probably someone there who's sort of a mother figure to her and probably someone there is a father figure to her. And these other people who were supposed to be sent her off and... She's trying to make the best of it. Now they're like, ah, never mind, come back. And, you know, I... Yeah, from her perspective, you can understand why. She's like, what the hell, man? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's it, typical. Kids don't always just get to do what they want. They get shuffled around by their parents and people who aren't their parents all the time. Uh, you know, I, there's almost a part of me that feels like she's just a little girl. She just has to do what her dad tells her. <laughs> well, he's 
not her, supposed to be her dad. Yeah, her uncle. He's uncle kind of dad. in jail, and <laughs> like, I don't know. How to, uh, her mom told her to marry this boy. I, you know, she doesn't even know that this is what her mom wants. Just he just showed up out of nowhere, telling her what to do at the point of a sword. You know, that's got to be pretty uh, complicated. It is. <laughs> Interesting undertone here. Jamie's just being kind of held there. No one's Doran hasn't spoken to him yet. He's yeah. just they're keeping him waiting for some reason. You got any thoughts on why it's you know what's go, why isn't something happen? Why isn't he talking to Doran Martell? Is he just letting him stew, or is there something else happening? I'm, first of all, I'm assuming that not much time has passed. I, I, I'm sort of assuming this is like within a day or so. You know, this, I don't yeah. think it's been like three months. I did think it was odd. It doesn't seem like Jamie is even quite locked up. I even like rewound and slow forwarded the scene trying to see, but Ario just walked in. He didn't have a key or in his hand. Jamie's just in this room. I thought it was odd that when Marcella kind of stormed out, Jamie was like, oh, well, she's gone now. I'll just <laughs> sit here in a room and do nothing. I can't believe he didn't like walk out after her, look around. Are there guards? Can someone bring me a book? I don't know. <laughs> He's just sitting in this room by himself doing nothing. They might as well follow Marcella. Try to talk to her more. Try to small talk with the guards. I guess they only have so much time, but I just... This is one of those doors that locks automatically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just seems <laughs> like... I want more of the... I want to see more of Jamie. I want more interaction. I want a better understanding of what's going on. And I understand this is a dense episode. Lots of plots happening. Lots of things going on. I really just wish there were 12 episodes per season. <laughs> where episodes are a little bit longer or something. Because I want, I want more dialogue. I want to know what's more going on there. And I'm sort of assuming we'll get some next episode. But I, I don't know. I, I, I want it to be more than just like a quick highlight conversation between Jamie and Marcella. Then a quick highlight conversation between Jamie and Doran. And then a quick highlight. I want to see it fleshed out a little bit better. I feel like it could just be a whole other show. Darnell and Cooper and, and Dorn could just be a whole other series that could be happening, you know? They're jumping back just real quickly. The funny thing about Marcella saying that she's been there for years is that Gilly's baby has been around for this long, too, and is still a baby. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Tom and Marcella have gotten a lot older. And it's like, well, I guess time is slower at the wall. We hear that line about fire burns, but cold preserves. Well, I guess yeah. it slows down aging, too. That explains how Mr. Amon got so old, too, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, a little, uh, a little playing loose with the chronology there, uh, showrunners. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's, uh, that's calling a spade a spade there. Yeah, yeah. We're, it's all in good fun. <laughs> but let's talk about the other half of Cooper and Darnell. Cooper in, in prison there with the Sand Snakes. Now, at first I was annoyed by this scene. I thought it was a little over the top and kind of silly. But there was more to it. There were some undertones. And, my, and as I thought about it, it's another one of those things where... You know, emotion and analysis don't go so well together. Once I thought about it more, I realized there was much more going on. Here's what's happening. She didn't just strip tease just for the hell of it. She was making his heart beat faster to make the poison work faster. That's why she kept asking about his arm even during the strip tease and then when she was asking about his head. She knew what the poison was going to do to him and she was kind of teasing him about it. And she knew, so she knew what she was doing. It wasn't just, I mean, in a sense, it was gratuitous, but it wasn't just gratuitous. There was a point to it. She was... She was playing with him. She was in control of that situation. As a Twitter uh, follower, cool like Han Solo says, good singing gets you boobs and drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so he got the antidote there. Now, little trivia there. 
a lot of watch watchers just from the UK especially would be aware of this. When Jerome Flynn was cast as Braun, a lot of UK folks were like scratching their head like, what? Because this guy used to be in a singing group called Robson and Jerome, and they were pop music. And so he's kind of not at all what you would expect to be cast in a serious role as some, you know, badass sellsword who's kind of, you know, kind of ruthless and looking out for himself. So that was, but he's been great. It'd be I mean, like if John Oates was cast to be Arya Hotep or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So what I think might be getting set up here is maybe Tyene is trying to work over him a little bit and get him like kind of under her under her spell, so to speak. Maybe she's got an I maybe she's thinking that they can work together or that he can get her she can get him to do something. Maybe she might she's be, just she's narcissistic. Thinking Maybe she just wants to be told she's the most beautiful girl in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what were your thoughts on this scene, or that this part of the scene? Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a, a, a funny kind of harken back to the song when he was singing earlier and Jamie yeah. wouldn't let him finish, and then we get to hear the end of it here. And I uh, thought there was some irony because at first we see him in jail and he's singing, which we've already, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily a good judge of singing voices or anything, but you know, Jamie didn't seem to care for it. He's like, ah, cut out the singing, you know. <laughs> so here we have him singing again, and then cut to these three girls, like, uh, in jail, like, uh, mm -hmm. frustrated with the singing again, you know. <laughs> I, I got the humor out of it, but... Uh, yeah, two of them didn't seem to care, but Tyene yeah. seemed to really like it. Jamie likes metal. That's what <laughs> yeah. it is. is gold hand. He's, he's more, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's more into hip-hop. That's his bling, you know. <laughs> gold chain? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> uh... Gold tooth, Psh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's way more hardcore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I thought that there was a little gratuitous just to get some TNA in there, but uh, but I, I I almost immediately just assumed that the poison was being triggered by his reaction. You know that that it, that she knew that was it wasn't a coincidence that right then he needed the antidote. She knew what was going to happen there, and. Uh, I also kind of appreciated the girls in the background were kind of like, ah, there she goes. This again. You know? <laughs> She's talking about how hot yeah. she is. <laughs> uh, I, I wish, though, that I wished when, uh, see, again, I want to complain that I can barely keep up with which girl is which. Was that Tyene? Okay, Tyene. And the other two girls in the background were kind of like, you know, rolling her eyes at this. I wish when the other girl, whose name I can't remember, the one who's Oberon's actual daughter. They're all Oberon's actual daughters. Uh, Alaris, you mean Alaris' actor, right? Tyene is Alaris' is is actual daughter. The other two, it's Ty, that's the one who is Alaris' daughter. Who's the one with the spear? Obara. Obara, spear girl. All right, <laughs> Obara, spear girl. When she gave her speech, oh, my father, and yeah. you can choose, da da da. I wish the other girls in the background had kind of rolled their eyes. Like, yeah. This speech again. <laughs> that would be awesome. I wish they had yeah. done that too. <laughs> have I mentioned I should be a writer? Yeah. <laughs> You should at least be a consultant. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so unless do you have any more thoughts on on Cooper and Darnell or the Sand Snakes, nothing other than I want to say I I'm glad that I still anticipate Braun dying, and I think it would have been kind of a very tragic moment for him to just die there of poison. It might have made, made the girl seem a little bit more ruthless too. They kept the scene a little bit more lighthearted, but I still think Braun's going to die. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because he the, a lot of people called that the when he killed the snake by jamie's ear there was a snake in the sand sort of thing and they thought oh 
Braun, that was foreshadowing Braun being the one to get poisoned by a sand snake. Well, he did get poisoned by a sand yeah, snake. It just yeah. didn't kill him. Not too late. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it really could be that. To go down. It, it could be, it was like reverse expectations. We kind of all saw it coming. We kind of, there was so much foreshadowing for Braun dying. And then he didn't die. But it could be just, you know, reverse, reverse expectations where he does it. Maybe he's just getting set up to just get killed by Ario Hota. Because it seems like, it would seem like a jip if we don't get to see Hota fight, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, they seem to be building up to that a little bit, too. <laughs> and he's not going to fight Jamie. That wouldn't be a fight, yeah. you know. Like, he, we've already, it's, he already said that. This would have been, been a good fight if, you know, when you were whole. Yeah, yeah, we all agree. It wouldn't be a good fight now. You know, when you're like the reverse, reverse, reverse expectation. <laughs> Ron beats Hota. I'm Ooh. once again thinking of Princess Bride. Clearly, I cannot drink the poison in front of me. <laughs> yeah, switch the glasses, switch them again, switch them again. Okay, so let's talk about Marine. Let's do that. First of all, the auction. This was another, there's another bit, there's a good bit of comic relief in this scene. We have Tyrion talking his way through things again, but not just talking this time. He beat the crap out of that dude, which, of course, no one's going to stop him from doing that. The auctioneer slave uh, slaver is like, this is just helping his value. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I love the stories that he told. He first threw the walls at Spike <laughs> and with his flaming sword, slew 50 men, and he killed Khal Drogo in personal combat. And Jorah's just like, looks at Jorah's really been pretty humble about all these accomplishments <laughs> he's had. <laughs> I have no idea how. He's this auctioneer, though, he needs to work on his skills there. The guy just goes to 20. He's like, sold. Like, dude, <laughs> let him, give him a second to bid a little more. You know, that's how auctions work. It's not like eBay where there's a buy it now price where you can just, <laughs> well, maybe it is like eBay. They just have a, they just didn't bother to explain that to us. Yes. Then we, and then, and then he just pays some generic price for Tyrion. He's like, here, here's some money for Tyrion. Yeah, we don't even know if that was two gold or 12 gold or. <laughs> so that is extremely typical for all medieval, well, really just everything. It's just a thing for all TVs and movies throughout history they just play fast and loose with money especially bags of coins just here's some oh, here yeah. i need this here's some money for it you know there's never no one ever talks somewhere between two thousand and twenty thousand dollars here you go yeah it's just <laughs> i need this here's money it's just a bag filled and you're just the whole bag it's like yeah this is pre i pre-counted it you yeah know, like, <laughs> and anyway. i carry around bags of fourteen thousand gold pieces <laughs> for whenever you know you might need to by 182 dwarf slaves. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought there's a, a nice little funny parallel there. We have Yezan. That's the slave master's name. There. His name is Yezan. And he slaps Tyrion in the face there and gets a little karma. He later gets elbowed in the face by, by Jorah. <laughs> Slap Tyrion, get elbowed. So that was fun. I, I don't know that there's a lot to discuss with that scene, but did you have any other thoughts on it? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay, so let's yeah. talk. First, we'll talk about Danny and Dario in bed together. Dario is being playful with his jealousy, but, you know, he's. What do you think? He might be actually more jealous than he's letting on, or. What did you what did you get from that? One, I appreciate. I, I kind of guessed that she might marry him, but it doesn't mean that they're like going to fall in love and sleep together in the same bed every night. That it, It's likely, at first, mostly at least, to be for show. She might still just go to another city and keep conquering and leave him behind to rule. Uh, she could easily just keep sleeping with Dario. Every other, pretty much every other ruler, <laughs> you know, like has, uh, you know, an official companion, you know, husband or wife or whatever, but is still sleeping around with other people. Um, 
It's typical, so, yeah. <laughs> I sort of assumed that, you know, there might be some jealousy from Dario, but their relationship, Danny and his relationship would still maintain, even if she got married to his daughter. Uh, although I can't imagine that coming back to bite her. I can imagine that not being seen well if she doesn't handle it properly, if his daughter gets jealous or wants to use that as leverage against her or something, you know. I, I thought it was a good line he had there when he said all rulers are either butchers or meat. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. I'm not sure if I agree with that. I don't necessarily think... I'm not sure if I agree with, with Dario, but I appreciate his perspective, at least. And uh, I, th- I feel like it's kind of extreme. He wants to round up... Because I think he even said the great masters, the worthy masters. He didn't just say all the masters. He was using positive qualifiers... And slaughter them all. Whoa, you know, just not quite well, what I... Great thought. Masters is their official title. Okay, okay. But Worthy Masters isn't. I seem to remember he used three adjectives. I don't remember that, but okay. That, that, well, see, in the... I remember Great he, Worthy and one other positive qualifier good, well, he, gave, see, that's, he gave to them. In the books, the, the, the there's different names for the Masters in the three different slaver cities. That's probably what's being reflected. Okay, okay. In, in Yunkai, they're the Wise Masters... In Astapor, they're the okay. good masters, and in in Yunka and in Mirin, they're the great masters. I may have mixed those up, but that's yeah. There's that, those are official names. Okay, so uh, he wasn't complimenting them. Then it makes a little more sense. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the pit itself. This was a big surprise, I think. We especially with the lead-in of Yezan telling them, "Well, if you fight well here, you'll get to fight in front of the queen," and that immediately Jorah perks up at that. It gives him a purpose again. He's like, "Oh wow, I could get to see Daenerys again," and because he's kind of just like going through the motions, doing his sword, and then he starts to look. He starts to think about it. It's almost like he might be giving, doing a little prayer there. I'm not sure. And we see that Danny is just disgusted by this whole thing, which is kind of predictable. What did you think about the scene in general and and the reveal? of Tyrion meeting Daenerys this is maybe maybe was as long as this has been incoming I think it was a kind of a surprise wasn't it yes I think that uh the timing of it I think we knew it was going to happen eventually yeah I I thought it was going to be a more climatic moment at the end of the season I feel like as this episode was going we started to see it coming pretty obviously but I did not expect it to happen this episode yeah Um, I didn't either that was a very big surprise she's when they show up together like oh the lesser fighting was like holy Wow. This scene definitely had a few, what I'm going to call, like, awkward bits, you know, where, again, the technical part of me kind of questions, like, why is Tyrion chained up and not Jorah? I don't you know, like, <laughs> uh, and how are they... Well, they weren't expecting Tyrion to fight. I, I guess not, but were they expecting Jorah to fight? That, that is what it kind of... Cause it seemed like they were picking, okay, you, and you, and you, and you, and I just didn't pick Jorah. Well, they were going to do another but, round. Um, I, I, I got yeah, the idea I they were going to so. do a second round. But it still seems like... Because there were a lot like, of guys that weren't... In the meantime, he easily could have just, like, run away. <laughs> like, well, where could he, he have could, run to? There was the only know. way. The only way to go was out into the pit. Right, but he did go out into the pit, and it well, was not like, running away, though. Right, but I'm, I... I can't quite tell, but it didn't seem like the pit was, like, behind a huge Colosseum walls. He could have just, like, gone out of the pit and gone around the corner and run off into the woods. It didn't seem <laughs> like it was that well sectioned off or guarded. He definitely just walked out there. Hey, what are you doing? Punch you in the face and just keep going. If he could, like, walk into the middle of the pit and fight eight dudes, he could have just got out of the pit, you know? Yeah, I don't think uh, so. If he tried to leave, the the guards would have tried to stop him. I think that they I didn't care so. about him. I don't think they, they just have no more, reason. But... They just have no reason to care about him yeah. hitting his own master. That's not their business. I guess, yeah. But actually trying to leave, that's their... Remember when he started Especially to remember when he won, he started to approach Danny and his dar, and the guards that perked point, up. Guards kind of like that's exactly forward, what yeah. would have happened. If yeah. They just don't care. Otherwise, they have nothing. But to, I don't know if they care if he leaves else. either, because that's part of no, what they, I'm they, wondering. No, is, they do. What, why? Because ostensibly, he's not even a slave, 
right? Oh no, you're totally right. Yeah, they they, they yeah. He I should guess be a free man. You Danny can leave should, if you want, especially right? with Danny but, sitting right there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Of course, and maybe theoretically one of them might not want him to go, but but it's on some level they got to be putting up fronts that they're not slaves. And that would be here, why so. Tyrion would be would be chained up and not. Jorah, because he's yeah. thinking maybe he's the arrogance of thing. Well, these guys want to fight; they're going to fight yeah. like that's what they're after. And if he tries to do anything, then fine. But Tyrion needs to be chained up because he's definitely not going to be a gladiator. And you know, I just paid for yeah, him. I just don't want him hope Danny doesn't come in here and see him chained up. I guess they can call him. Uh, they can call. They can say, "Oh, he's not a slave; he's a prisoner. He committed a yeah, crime." Yeah, he, something like that. Uh, oh, you understand, milady. We're going to chop his cock off and sell it to a merchant. He's lucky. You know. You know. <laughs> no. We got to chain like, him up. Yeah, man. I know. <laughs> I was also a little surprised at how disgusted Danny was by that. She seems like she's been witness to far more ruthless stuff. I'm like, the Khal Drogo's wedding had people gutted in front of her. She had 100 people nailed against the wall. What's one dude getting stabbed in the neck? She didn't. Uh, yeah, she this, the circumstances be... there were different, though. Like, right? Like, she was disgusted by the fight at the wedding. Like, she definitely turned her turned away from that also. This, right. This, uh, but she knew what she was going to see here, and she's seen it before, and she has personally ordered worse. Right, so... but she's ordered worse because it was because it was necessary, because she thought it was justice. Yeah. This is just people killing each other. Because she's trying to keep an open mind about tradition. Right, and, she hates yeah. it. She's trying to keep an open... Exactly, trying to keep an open mind. are kept saying, oh, but your tradition, tra- oh, but, oh, no, tradition is you wait till the end. Tradition, tradition. So she's she like, just, I've she's given enough to your tradition. Yeah, yeah. She's like, this was, this was a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it is, it's kind of hard for her. She's not sure what's, you know, what's going on there, and... It, we're kind of, it was kind of left dangling there. Do you have any predictions on how she's going to react to the fact that she's confronted with Tyrion Lannister? Yeah. She hates... She, she's hearing all these bad things about Tywin. And Tyrion's brother killed her father. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's common knowledge. Now, that said, she has a different perspective on her father now that Barristan gave her, right? That's true. Uh, that is and, true. That and Tyrion... Maybe he'll immediately get arrested, but Tyrion say, hey... I killed my father. This man you've heard these bad things about, I killed him. He was a bad man, just like your father. <laughs> and my brother killed your father, and you want to hold that against me, but maybe you should have a trial. You have some sense of honor. You want to be a ruler. Tyrion can spin it. Tyrion, Tyrion can defend himself pretty well. He's good at talking. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm afraid it might be kind of like early on when Tyrion was like figuring out who Jorah was and what was going on. Tyrion's like playing it out for Jorah. He's like, well, let's just say things go your way. Let's just say that. <laughs> and, and he Tyrion threw it out there. He's like, I think she's likely to go the other way. I think she's likely to take me and hang you, you know? And <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know if... I don't know if Danny necessarily wants to punish Jorah, but I can imagine she's like, hey, thanks for the gift. Now get out of here. Tyrion, let's talk. You know, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if it goes like that. I wouldn't be surprised if Jorah's just left there to go fight, and maybe he continues trying to prove himself and continues fighting. What else is he going to do? It's the only way to get close to her. Maybe she even gives him an out, like, if you win the championship at the tournament next week, then I'll let you back in my city, you know, something like that. Yeah. And Tyrion, let's talk. You know, I have a feeling Tyrion's coming out of chains, getting a shower and a shave. <laughs> Jorah is staying in a fighting pit. That's my prediction. <laughs> What do you think? Do you think Jorah will be able to succeed in that environment? Well, I certainly looked, he looked, certainly looked pretty good in the pit there. He yeah, was... I don't think there's, I don't think he's just going to like randomly die to some gay who fighter in the pits next week. I think yeah, he's going to keep yeah. winning and keep winning and prove himself or whatever. Well, of course, the whole, the shadow over the whole thing is that he has grayscale. He does still have grayscale, <laughs> yes. And that is, uh, obviously that, who knows how that's going to play out. That's still a really big deal. 
and he's going to be around more and more people if he's in this like put in a dungeon situation or if he's put in a you know kept in some sort of area where other gladiator types are kept of course they, All they the have gladiators to be free grayscale yeah, you could have just a massive outbreak. The tradition's ruined. Oh, well, no, it, all the gladiators died. We can't have the fights anymore. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another, we have a diseased guy with this super, carrying a supernatural disease that's, that's been talked about a lot, that's powerful, heading to a major population center, and that could go a lot of different ways. It's definitely a, an important thing to consider and to, and to wonder what might become of it. And if there is some sort of disease outbreak amongst Danny's people or amongst just the, the, the citizens or the slaves or amongst the masters or just a lot of, or amongst a little of column, little from column A, little from column B, you know, maybe Daenerys is going to have to make some tough decisions regarding the whole butcher, butcher, you know, being a butcher or being meat decision about yeah. having to like deal with certain segments of the population that have this communicable disease that she has to isolate them. You know, there's a lot of different scenarios there. Handling a disease like this for a ruler is really, really difficult. And Daenerys is sometimes shown a little bit of hesitance in dealing with people who are kind of helpless. She's, if she's faced with the decision of having to give up on her children, so to speak, because they have this disease, that will be a very trying decision for her. And you wonder if, well, it'll be Tyrion, I suppose, that will be the one to maybe tell her what needs to be done. Pray to the right God. <laughs> <laughs> now, as well, looking forward more to Danny's reaction, what about, what about Hisdar's reaction? What about Hisdar's reaction to Jorah returning and to Tyrion? More, perhaps more importantly, what, what do you think? You think Hisdar has anything to do with with Tyrion? Not do has anything to do with it, as in he's responsible. But Hisdar's kind of set up now without with Barrison gone, which just Dario is kind of her only real advisor that's left. Masador is dead. Grey Worm is on the mend. Masande is certainly an important advisor, and she should still be around. But Tyrion might be set up to slide into that role and take take center stage there. I wonder what Hisdar's going to think of that. What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on Hisdar? At this yeah, point? I, I wonder a couple things. I'm trying to remember Hisdar. His Hisdar, future grace. <laughs> yeah. Did Hisdar even ever know Jorah? Yeah, yeah, he did. Was he there when he was like caught and banished? Mm -hmm. Hisdar was the president. Yeah, yeah, right? Hisdar was president for all that. Yeah, okay, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I wonder what he'll. I could especially because he didn't have as much time. Despite Jorah having betrayed Danny. He was there with her, loyal, a long time in a lot of ways. Yes. His are only would have seen a small, I can't even remember, so I feel like a relatively small amount of, of witness to draw however good he was. You only saw a little bit of it and then found out about this betrayal. So he might be especially suspicious of Jorah. Yeah. I wonder if his daughter would even know who Tyrion Lannister is. I don't know how world-renowned the Lannisters are. Well, the, the, the slavers had heard of the Kingslayer, so you'd think That's the, true. Name, the name yeah. Lannister is certainly fa very famous because the Lannisters have held Castle Rock for like some 8,000 years. So yeah. that is even, that's time enough for it to be, especially because their gold mines are world famous as well. Yeah. But Tyrion specifically, no, they, there's a very good chance they haven't heard of Tyrion. But they, it's possible to have because, you know, people love rumors and he's a dwarf and so like he people would... stand out enough, you know. Right, that... You know, if you think about the rumors, like what Oberyn said, the rumors of him being born were like, he's like, oh, we heard you had a tail and all these yeah, things. Yeah. So you figure those, that's the kind of rumor that people would love to spread. So yeah. Yeah, people may have heard of him. 
But you wonder what Danny specifically has heard of him because she hasn't really. She has, she's talked about the Lannisters. People have talked about the Lannisters around her, but actually mentioning Tyrion. So this is an, inter- this is a, an interesting side effect of Barrison being dead. Is Barrison would have had some thoughts on Tyrion. They might not have yeah. been good thoughts. I don't know how. I don't think they knew each other very well. But you know, Barrison being the kind of guy he is, he might have not have had any good things to say about Tyrion because Barrison isn't the kind of guy to respect cunning and. And it also Tyrion's reputation for whoring. And right, he also, also would have thought poorly of him from that. And there were some things that Tyrion might have done that would speak well of him that Barristan wasn't witness to when he was there at the Battle of Blackwater. Barristan had already been banished. That's so, true. That's very uh, true. Barristan might his... not have had good things to say about Tyrion. Yeah, he, he didn't see his, his bravery. We, we know that Tyrion has fought in two big battles, and one of them he was knocked unconscious right away before he could fight in the yeah. battle. But the other, but the Battle of Blackwater, he acquitted himself well. And hasn't shied from fighting. He's been in some other skirmishes as well. He certainly was in that, that skirmish with the Mountain Clans. And the, uh, again, having just read the first book, you know, my perspective is a little bit different. But the in the book, they showed a little bit more of that battle. And Tyrion ruthlessly, like, killed yeah. a couple of people, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. a, so that scene in the, at the slave trade where they were beating the guy, kicked him in the face. Yeah, that was, that was nothing. Like, yeah, <laughs> I got Tyrion has killed a man before. We've yeah. seen it a couple times. So It wasn't just his father uh, that he killed. <laughs> he, he, it's not completely ludicrous when Tyrion says, I'm a good fighter too, you know. like yeah. it, He's certainly better than anyone expects him to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah he gives him, gives him a little bit of opportunity to surprise somebody with his, <laughs> with his skills there, yeah. for sure. Okay. He's been a witness to ruthlessness and been put in positions where he needed to be so. So, And also there's a bit of desperation there. That's true too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let us go ahead and move on. The next location, of course, this will be the biggest location, King's Landing. We'll start with Olena and the High Sparrow, kicking off several scenes that have either Olena or the High Sparrow. And... A lot of great scenes, a lot of great dialogue, and of course, of, of, at first they kind of trade, trade off a few jibes. They both kind of settle down for a second and and talk about how yeah, I, I don't kneel as much because of my knees. Like oh, it's my hips, yeah. you know. And they, they so it's like a brief moment of bonding, but it quickly just fades away as Olena is just quite convinced that he's full of it, that he's not a true believer, that he's not a zealot, but. You see, I guess she starts I don't, to... I think at the end, she was a little more convinced. And, uh, and that kind of, like, took some wind out of her sails, didn't yeah. it? She's like, oh, man, this guy, I can't bribe him. I, I, what, what can I, like... Yeah. She realizes that it's not going to be as easy as she thought. I, uh, in fact, this is, like, leaping forward a little bit, but I wonder if Elena's better off or worse. Like, you know, Cersei getting arrested like that, uh, some part of Elena is going like, oh, that's what she gets. Thank goodness I have to deal with her anymore. But wait a minute. He's really serious. He's got no one <laughs> safe. He's going to punish my kids, you know, like or yeah. my grandkids or whatever. Because she thought that he was just Cersei's puppet, but clearly yeah. he's not just Cersei's puppet yeah. if he just yeah. immediately turns around and throws Cersei in jail. Yeah. It was one of my favorite scenes, though, that, that bit with the Sparrow and yeah. Elena. I, I did appreciate it. I've been been trying to peg the Sparrow this whole time. I, I keep kind of going back and forth on whether or not he's like does have this conniving long-term plan he's putting up a front, or if he is just genuinely... Uh, Man of the cloth or whatever, and and which one is worse, I, or or more dangerous, or I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how to describe him or what to think of him. I I feel like he has integrity, which I respect, and it seems genuine, but he has integrity 
toward things that I don't necessarily agree with. And so I don't, it makes it extra dangerous, you know. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was, he's a very interesting character uh, for the show and for the other characters to have to deal with and interact with. In general, I'm glad to see Elena back and having her interact with him was very interesting and entertaining. I like that scene a lot. But uh, I'm more worried than I was before. <laughs> yeah, right? And yeah, I think that maybe a little of both. Well, a lot of some and a little of the other, meaning he is a zealot. He is a true believer, I think. But he is cunning, and he's maybe got a little bit of flair for the dramatic, and he, he appreciates presentation a bit uh, because of the way he... The way the whole scene with Cersei a little later camp comes down, I guess we'll get to that in a minute. But, yeah, I think he's just just the right combination of dangerous in those ways that makes him a good, compelling character as well as someone that's really hard to reckon with because he doesn't have any real weaknesses that have at least anything that's been exposed. He doesn't yeah. have any... He doesn't really have skeletons in his own closet, apparently, at least knowing that anyone has access to, especially if he's just been a living his life this way the whole time, you know, in humility. It's also possible he does have a, a skeleton, but I'm going to say not in a closet, because it seems the Lancel's earned some sort of redemption. He made made mistakes in his past, took, got some sort of punishment, made some sort of vow, turned his life around, this is who he is now. He, he I, I want to have this hope that part of his character and his integrity and being a true man of religion or whatever, forgiveness would be part of that, understanding would be part of that. And I feel on some level, I, I could be wrong, because it seemed like that whole uh, trial or inquest was sort of like a trap to get Marjorie. Hmm. But I can't help but wonder, what if Marjorie had said, it's true, I did see it, he did do these things, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have been dishonest, I wish my brother was a better man. I wonder if the seven would be like, arrest her, throw her in a dungeon. Or if he would have been like, I appreciate your honesty, I appreciate you... T- respecting your vow i think she would have been punished child. but less less so i think right. she would have had some sort of milder punishment yeah. and i kind of feel like again kind of skip forward a little bit but i feel like he was kind of giving cersei outs absolutely you know? i agree especially after cersei just came forward and said so you know what if one of them confesses then you know what if they try to make amends and he's like well depends on the situation depends on what they did depends on what they say we'll see and so i feel like he was you know, you know, Cersei really curious about how things are going to go down. Let me give you a chance. <laughs> yeah. And Cersei, Cersei's like, screw you, I'm out of here. And he's like, all right, throw her in a dungeon. You know yeah. what I mean? I, Again, I'm skipping ahead, uh, but I just, I, I, I'm still reserving judgment on him. I, I don't think, don't, I don't think he's evil. I'm going to say that right now. I don't think that he's underhandedly conniving i think he's willing to maneuver i think when you're trying to arrest the queen you want to get your facts straight when you get your timing right the king's guard better not be around you better be sure about your facts can you rely on lance so let's cooperate the information you know what i mean but uh i i think he is cunning enough to understand what and how things are going to go down but i don't think he's evil and maneuvering for power i do think he's legitimately looking for justice Whatever his justice is, his might, justice we might not agree is, with. His but, justice uh, is, a bit, is a bit warped, but it is what he yeah, He is consistent right. with that, I think. Yeah. At least he's shown that to this point. Not that everyone else's justice isn't warped. You know, which character has a good, you know, <laughs> you know maybe two or three characters who maybe have a, a quote-unquote fair or prudent definition of justice, but but most of them don't even have a good sense of integrity. So That's true. So backing up a little bit, uh, Tommen and Cersei scene, 
It, well, first of all, it looks like Tommen, the, uh, Tommen can act. Good, good acting yeah. there by him. Uh, neglected to look up the name of that actor. I always forget uh, what his name is. And he gets emphatic. He says, I'll start a war if I have to. Kind of finally loses his temper and realizes he's been pushed too far. And Cersei just says, no. You knew very well who the first casualty of that war would be. And, of course, she's referring to Marjorie. Yeah. So that kind of undermines the whole point. If she's going to, you know, if he's going to try to use violence, well, that won't solve it because the person you're trying to rescue is just going to end up dead. She does give a good piece of advice. We must be strong for the ones we love. But then she kind of undermines that, doesn't she? She's not exactly being honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about that. <laughs> and she appears genuinely moved, in a sense, although she still has that smirk the whole time, sort of. But she does seem to be kind of moved by his pleas that how much he loves her. And she seems a little moved by that. And he, she says that she'll burn cities to the ground. And this kind of this kind of duplicity with her own son in his moment of, of weakness like that really makes her imprisonment later a bit more satisfying, I think. More makes it feel just to the, to the watcher. What did you think about that scene in particular? About Cersei and Tommen and, and Tommen's helplessness. And Cersei's kind of cynical... Uh, soothing of his, of his you know, feelings as I, there. As I was watching it, I was mostly thinking a, a lot about, okay, even wondering in Tommen's mind, how Marjorie, you know, was kind of prodding him. It's like, oh, you're always going to be your mama's little boy. You know what I mean? I wonder on what level he felt that way. And it's, what, however much it was, however much it's okay to feel that way. He is a little boy. It is his mom, you know? And uh, But he might be resentful on some level, uh, how much of it is her manipulating him? Just because she's manipulating him doesn't mean she doesn't love him also. Just because she loves him doesn't mean she's not sadistic and treacherous in a million other ways, you know. Uh, I think it's interesting to see that Since we've... as villainous as Cersei is and as disingenuous as she could be, doesn't mean she doesn't love her kids. Definitely. And, she, uh, definitely she's real, she definitely loves her kids. Yeah. I don't think that's in doubt. But... Her her manner of love is, uh, <laughs> shall we say, leaves something to be desired. She speaks to it well, but behind the behind the curtain, she <laughs> yeah, she's not exactly doing her doing her son justice in that sense. Now, but speaking from Thomas' point of view, more since he's not in any other scenes, we should talk. We, this is a good time to talk about it. What's next for him? So his yeah. his his mother he, his mother sent away. A lot of his advisors, By intending a lot. to intending pretty to, much all, yeah, right, intending to kind of rule through him and with him only, and now she's out of the picture too. What does he do? Yeah, I wonder who will respect his authority at this point. Like when a decision needs to be made, when taxes need to be collected. Like I'm just wondering, like where do loyalties come from? You know, say he did want to go speak to the high sector, which I feel like. Probably more than ever. I feel like he's got to go. You know? And I wonder, I hope even there's, we're going to have a scene with Tom and talking to the High Sparrow. Uh, I think and hope it'll be an interesting scene. Well, here's a, here's a little thing to throw out there, too. Notice that when Dario says, all rulers are butchers or meat, the next scene is Tom. That's yeah, the next thing yeah. we see. So at this point, he looks Tom more looks like, like meat than butcher, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> He acted for a minute like he was prepared to be a butcher, but he can't really, it wouldn't get him what he wants at this point. So he maybe, maybe he's pushed a little farther and he has no choice, or maybe he's got to call in some allies. No choice, but to what? Like, let, let's just say, I, that's it. Call out the troops. Attack the sept. 
let's say that he made that decision and the troops followed the decision, then what happens? Then they, like, kill Marjorie and Loras and the High Sparrow and Cersei and, like, and all these monks. And then, then Tom's like, ah, there, I did it. Now everyone's <laughs> happy. Wait, no, that's, you're probably going to have a civil war. All your loved ones are dead. More so than ever, you have no council. Like, you're, the army you call probably... Oh, I, I don't know how big of an army they want. I don't know how strong the Faith Militant is in the first place. I feel like the Kingsguard could just like slice through them all, but they're just so. But numerous, not before yeah. they could. Yeah, it, especially because that's the other thing that we got to keep in mind is the Sparrow said many times is, "You're the few, we're the many." Mm-hmm. You know, you, you even, even if the Kingsguard and some army kill a hundred, a thousand people, you're just gonna kill all the people who you're gonna be ruling. Like you, that can't you can't just slaughter everyone. Yeah, nonstop, he, all, all of a sudden he's time. worse than Ares if he does yeah. that kind of stuff. And so, but the but I don't know what the flip side is. He's like, oh, oh well, I guess I'll just sit in this throne room all by myself and not do anything to anyone just, about just anything. Wait for ever. justice to take its course. Yeah, <laughs> like I don't I don't know. I don't know what he would or should do or what he will decide or would would be steered toward. But all that said, I'm sort of assuming Olena and Littlefinger are going to guide him. That's yep. kind of what those I Those are expect. the two strongest yeah. personalities you got. You got Pycelle and Kyburn, but really those are kind of second tier. It's You're right. Yeah. Olena and Littlefinger are the ones who are going to have his ear. And they're already, obviously, they're Pycelle kind of working and, together. Pycelle more likely would just tell him, oh, just sit still. Just don't worry. It'll all be okay. He probably <laughs> won't have any actual advice. Where Kyburn might care or have some advice, but it might be a little more odd or clandestine. Like, he probably cares a little bit more about Cersei. Yeah, his, his his position authority is entirely derived from Cersei. If he if she goes down, then he almost certainly goes down too. I still might be in trouble too, by the way. Mm. And uh, I suppose Littlefinger too. Like I, you know, Littlefinger is behind all these brothels. That can't be hidden. That can't be unknown. Yeah, they already knew. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Little so, Lancel pointed that out in, in the last episode. Uh, and he's back in town. I feel like again. It's not easy to just randomly arrest someone. I feel like there was even like a moment of that about to happen when Lancel confronted Littlefinger in the street. They had like armed men, he had guards, like maybe we'll have a battle right here, but I'm going to meet the queen. Maybe you should let me meet the queen before you try to arrest me. I think though the thing is, I see here's this is the thing is if they're very going strictly by the rules, it just is just now occurring to me. It might be that someone like Littlefinger is someone to look down on, not someone that's actually committing sins. Like, it, he, he said whatever the seven-pointed star says. If the seven-pointed star may not have specific yeah. guidelines for how to treat brothel owners. You know, like Flesh Petal, they just look down on him because he's doing something that's related to the sin, specific sins, but isn't technically, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they smashed up the brothels, clearly have they have bad feelings about it, but they didn't kill Olivar, and they yeah. didn't kill Littlefinger, clearly. They just kind of harassed him. So the, to me, that says that maybe that's why, that it's not specifically Yet. outlawed. Yet. <laughs> well, I don't know if they're going to... That, to me, would be like... Well, no, I guess it wouldn't be. I, I would Oliver say that's like rewriting the buggery. Bible. But, but I guess it might not be. They could just... Yeah, they could, they could clarify. <laughs> yeah. they, could, they could have their own creative interpretation of... Just like people have creative interpretations yeah. of what's in the Bible. People that argue was... about that all the time. Like the same thing could happen here, except for right now. No, the suppose... Bible's completely clear about everything, Is <laughs> I don't think there'd be any, any reason for... Uh, there won't be anyone to challenge the High Sparrow on his interpretation of the Seventh Point Star, yeah. I think. So he could he could kind of interpret it the way he wants, whether it's going to be cynical or he's going to have his own kind of, if he spins it a certain way to have things come out the way he wants, or if he's just going to read it the way he thinks is honest. <laughs> that was a thought I had, by the way, that was answered pretty quickly by the end of the episode, but when he was 
the highest bearer on Elena were having a conversation in my mind. I was, cause I was still kind of being suspicious of him. I was like, why Loris and Marjorie? Why not Cersei? There's other people, you know, and Elena was kind of asking the same question. You live among all these murderers and thieves and everything. Why these two? What's your agenda? He didn't and, really uh, give a straight answer, did he? He didn't give a straight answer, but eventually we do see it wasn't that he was a puppet of Cersei. I'll arrest Cersei too. I don't care. My agenda is justice, you know? Yep. So, yep. And, and to that end, I feel like he should also go after Oliver and Littlefinger, you know? We'll, we'll see. And I, 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 and I still think he will or potentially will or should or could but he's got to plan it. He understands he can't just willy-nilly go do everything all at once. He's got to plot these things out when he's going after these movers and shakers. He's got to have all his ducks in a row, make sure the information is correct, make sure to get Cersei alone in a chamber without the king's guard around, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So let's talk a minute as well about Littlefinger and Olenna chatting together. And of course, Olena, as usual, just wants him to get to the point. That's how she is with everybody. She's like, let's just, let's, let's talk about it. Let's get into the meat of it. Let's just forget this preamble. Forget all the, yeah, forget the pleasantries. Forget all that crap. What do you want? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But he convinces her that her, their interests are aligned as they were before. And Olena basically has her own threats. Like, you know, like, look what happens if, if I disappear or if I go down, you're going down too. And Littlefinger's like, look. There's no need for threats. Our interests are aligned. You know, don't worry about it. What did you think of their interactions? I liked it. I think these characters are both interesting to, to watch and interact and so on. I will say, if I was going to pick a little bit, I felt like the conversation was a little bit, I don't know what the right word is, contrived. It was like exposition for the audience. Like, okay. To make sure everyone knows that they conspired to kill Joffrey. I mm. feel like that's what that scene was, to make sure, to fill us in. Hey, in case you didn't see last season... These two characters are in cahoots. That's, yeah. I felt a lot of that's what that scene was about. Again, they did legitimately seem to be reminding each other of the leverage they have over each other, but I feel like a lot of that was just to keep the audience clued into what their relationship is exactly. But the key thing I took from that was that Littlefinger said, I have a gift for you. By the way, the name of the episode was The Gift. Yes. Which obviously Tyrion was a gift to Danny, but here he said, I have a gift for you. And she's like, oh, what kind of gift? The same kind of gift I gave to Cersei. Cersei, a handsome young man. And he, of course, had to point out that he had no choice. Like, I couldn't lie and I couldn't right. delay. So I had to tell the truth. And I think she kind of understood that that was true. Well, except he was telling the truth about Sansa, right? I assume that was a thing that he couldn't lie about. But what was the gift? No, he wasn't telling the truth. He was telling the truth about Olivar. Olivar was the one he couldn't lie about, I believe. What truth did he tell? He did lie about Sansa. He told the truth about Olivar that Olivar knew about Loras. Do you think Littlefinger told that to Cersei, and then so Cersei used that to, to catch Marjorie? Yes. Okay, so then what's his gift to Elena? Well, the... Is it Robin? Is he trying to propose a marriage? No, 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 no. Because no. he said handsome young man. That's definitely not talking about sweet Robin. Because Robin's ugly. And also Robin doesn't know anything. <laughs> That's, this, is, this is information. It's, the, the point is that he gave someone that knows something. Someone that has dirt okay. on Cersei. Okay. So that, or, or whose very existence is dirt on Cersei. So that you would, the, the obvious answer is Lancel. Because lads, what happens soon after is that Lancel is the one that outs Cersei. However... One would think there's a compelling reason to think that Lancel already would have talked to the High Sparrow. Yeah. So this could be a bit of misdirection. So it could be somebody else. But I do not at all think it could be Sweet Robin. That doesn't make any sense to me. So who else could it be? Gendry, maybe, is one possibility. That's, he is certainly a handsome young man. 
so to speak. <laughs> Still no, out there. He's a handsome young man. And he is, a, you know, perhaps proof of, of Tommen's bastardy. Yeah. Kind of the way. Cause the How way does that help Olena, though? It doesn't help Olena get rid of... It doesn't help Olena um, get rid of... Or rescue Marjorie and Loris, but it does... Because he said he couldn't help with that. That's not... He doesn't, he doesn't have anything that can do that. But it would help bring down Cersei. So he wasn't offering to help her out of her jam. He was offering to help bring down Cersei, which is the next best thing. I mean, let's be honest. What could he possibly... What could a person he could produce do to save Marjorie and Loris at this point? Yeah. That's, not, that's not possible. Yeah. To saving them involves some other sort of mechanism or them getting free of their trial somehow. Littlefinger's not going to be the man to, to produce a, a human being that can do that. That's just not... That's not, just, just not on the table, I don't think. I don't know. I think Robin's at least as handsome as Lancel. <laughs> well, with that, with that pentagram thing, or seven-pointed star cards, <laughs> septagram <laughs> carved in his head, yeah, he's certainly not looking so handsome. But other than that, he was certainly considered that, you know, before. And I mean, obviously Cersei thought he looked like Jamie, and that's why they slept yeah, together yeah. and all that. I guess that makes sense. I, I thought that he was proposing a marriage. I thought he was proposing Rob and Mary into the Tyrell. But I didn't. There is no Tyrell for him yeah, to marry, though. Exactly. I, I was confused by it. I, that's uh, 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 the thing that I wrote. No, what a handsome young man. What does that mean? Who who is he talking about? So <laughs> I guess it does make sense that Lancel. I guess, I'm thinking about the sweet Robin idea a little more. I guess if we're, if if I want to consider that possible, her his plan would have to be something along the lines of totally oust Lannister from power. And have the throne be held by a, some sort of Tyrell Veil coalition thing. Yeah. In fact, let's just say that that they do produce Gendry, because I hadn't thought of that. Because he is just this, this loose end that's been out there. It makes sense. The little finger might have got rolling. So, yeah. His muscles are going to be huge. Yeah, yeah. Like, look at this. Look at him. He's <laughs> handsome. Like Popeye. That's why yeah. she's, he's calling him handsome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And even, you know, even Sansa, like, and, and to Sansa's comment, because that was like a, a reference in this episode. Sansa's like, Tommen, that bastard, you know? <laughs> and and Ramsey even kind of knew it was true. It's like, oh, oh, she's right. Oh, screw her. Let me show her this dead body. So I, I, I wonder, and, and you did also point out, Tommen looks like meat, not, not a butcher, you know? <laughs> so I wonder what's going to happen. Mm, like, tell Tommen me, meat. who will be the heir to the throne? There would be no clear heir. I mean, Stannis would be... That would be, that would be the heir at that point, assuming he's not an attainted traitor. Assume yeah. that's yeah. that's a that's a that's a that's this is the situation. This is when you say who is the heir in this spot. There is no heir. The answer is who would inherit the throne. The answer is civil war. That's what happens in the spot like yeah. this. When there is no clear heir, that's what always like, happens. Ostensibly, Stannis's should be at the throne like already, right. but already he's not, and they're they're already at civil war. If we had, uh, yeah, if we had perfect, if everybody say, had perfect information. Stannis would already be king because we would know. But even would know the truth. Yeah, let's. But even if it came out, even people who want to believe or support or ostensibly believe or support the Lannisters, if it suddenly became proven that Tommen was a bastard, and then, I guess, Marcella too. Those people would have to be like, oh, well, then I guess it is Stannis after all, right? That ostensibly, everyone would have to just concede to Stannis. Now, someone still might want to maneuver for that power and say, hey, we're at war anyway. It's anyone's game. I don't care. I don't believe in Stannis. But ostensibly, people should believe in Stannis. Roos Bolton? Would Roos Bolton have to be like, Oh, Stannis, uh, sorry, you're the one trailer anyway. Yeah, we, we could see Winterfell to you. <laughs> how would Roose Bolton react if, to if, that move, to if, that That's revelation? a tough choice. I don't know how Roose would react. He would do, obviously, 
he would do whatever's in his best interest. He might have to approach Dennis and say, hey, look, yeah, look, if I bend the knee, will you let me keep the dread fort and all that? Or he might try to become independent. He might do his own king in the north type situation and break yeah. free. Like, think about this. With the faith rising again, that's not good for worshippers of the old gods. This guy is a zealot who believes in worship of the seven and, you know, punishing the non-believers and all that. Well, that's not good for the northerners. No. Also, <laughs> is Stannis and Melisandre? How are they? How, yeah, good point. Yeah, they yeah. worship the red god now. Yeah. Stannis is, that's not going to sit well with the High Septon either. So the High Septon, if the high, basically, the High Septon is the most powerful man in King's Landing now. So the new king is going to be almost so, whoever that is, is could be a, a bit of a puppet really beholden to him. In but a sense. who who could it be? Who even ostensibly temporarily I have no is idea. it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> I really don't. That is a, a very interesting situation. You wonder if because if if Tommen is unseated or his bastardy is outed, yeah, that's just it's chaos. It's going to be like there is no clear heir to the throne. They have to like suggest somebody or name somebody or Daenerys would have to arrive and be like, all right, it's me, you know. Yeah. Or should have been me all along, you fools. <laughs> yeah. So that's a ver that's a really interesting point. Is that all the can even though there's some good candidates like Stannis and all that, they don't it's sit just... well with the guy who's now the most powerful man in King's Landing, yeah. and they they wouldn't sit well at all. There's no way the High Sparrow is going to tolerate a non Seven worshiper being put on the throne. That will ne he will never let that fly if he can say anything about it, which he seems to be able to say quite a bit about that. I wonder, though, here's another thing, because this is a, a thought that a, a couple of my friends that we talk about the show, they bring up the, the nature of religion and all this. Did I make the comment last week about how like we've seen real power from the Red God and the Old Gods, but nothing really from the Seven. <laughs> and I wonder if, if he, if that High Sparrow, if he saw Melisandre's true power, would he be like, oh, she's a witch. We need to, of course, this is why we're against these other religions. Or if he'd be like, oh... You have real power? Man, my gods just made me wear these garbs and have stone <laughs> statues with no trimmings. Your gods let you resurrect people? What? You know, I wonder if he would concede to the... If he would just chalk it up to witchcraft, you know what I mean? Or if he would... Probably so. He's probably, probably not going to yeah, suddenly I'm, change his I whole agree. life's beliefs, you know? Yeah, it's not like he's a young man. That... <laughs> if Danny showed back up, would the high steps be... No or care. What religion well, here's is the Danny? thing about what that: is is Danny hasn't declared really declared her religion at all. Yeah. Like the Targaryens had converted to the Seven a long time ago, so he might be able to accept her in that regard. But the this the faith is very patriarchal. They don't have they don't they're not down with women rulers. So that that's a problem for her as well. And they don't like dragons. They're not big fan of and they're definitely not down with incest. They, they tolerated it partly because they lost their ability to do much about it. But back when they were powerful, it was a big problem for them. There was, in the early days of the Targaryen reign, there were major rebellions by the faith militant. This is why they, it was, this is why they had to be put down, because they, could not, they just could not tolerate the, the incest and the dragons. I feel like on one hand, this scene with Cersei being thrown in jail is sort of like, oh, finally, this villainous character, get what she deserves. There's so, <laughs> so, such rich irony in it all, after she just kind of prodded Marjorie and everything but at the same time I think it's a really really big moment for the course of Westeros as a whole like almost as big as anything almost as the biggest thing since since Robert died yeah you're right I would agree with that
what else have we not covered in, the, in throughout these different scenes here? Yeah, we I bumped think, around a lot there. Yeah, <laughs> Lots of stuff well, to it, talk about. It was, yeah. yeah. It's a very, it's, 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 it's got the most impact. I think there were the most scenes in King's Landing, and yeah. it's got the most potential and the most kind of, maybe not the most unknowns. I guess some of the stuff at the wall has the most, you know, like John going north and all that. Yeah. Is like, that's full of unknowns. But this is, this is, there's a lot of different characters involved. There's more important characters involved, so it's harder to predict, and that usually generates more discussion, I think. So... Uh, let's talk about briefly the the name of the character that huge Septa that kind of corrals Cersei. Her name is Septa Unella. I kind of like to call her Super Septa because she's <laughs> that woman is large. That's like she could give Brianna a run for her money in yeah. size. We have, uh, in fact, one of our watchers, Alex Oliveira, wonders who would win in a wrestling match between Brienne and Super Septa. I wonder who would win in a match between Brienne and Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wonder about. That. So do you do you have any other thoughts on Cersei and the High Sparrow and Olena and Littlefinger and Marjorie and we didn't see Loras at all but we know that he's his the, you wonder actually at this point whose crimes are worse Cersei's or Loras's I guess Loras is just guilty of buggery which we looked that up that's anything other than Male, vaginal intercourse between a man and a woman, right? That's the that's yeah. the like medieval definition of it. So there, any kind of any kind of yeah. like apparently oh, okay. this is where the word so came like from. going down on somebody would be buggery. Yes, yes. Ooh, apparently okay. it came from a, a tribe or a, a, some group of people called uh, bogalils or bogalrears. Or I can't remember <laughs> what it was now. And they believed that having kids was bad, and oh. so they didn't. They specifically had any sexual act that wouldn't result in pregnancy. And, of course, that group was like, what? You guys are weird and crazy. They, I mean, they would have sex with animals and stuff even. You know what uh -huh. I mean? So, uh, and that, that's where the term buggery came from, the buggerills or bugger, buggerings or whatever they <laughs> were. And uh, from medieval times. So, I'm sure they lasted with their, their <laughs> emphasis know, on not, having, not having children. Kids, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Those beliefs really spread. But, yeah, I, and I, I feel like one thing that's interesting is that Apparently, it's part of the seven to not have not commit buggery, right? But it seemed to me that the this high sparrow he was just as concerned with lying in court. Yeah, as perjury with that. Was, 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 was it wasn't bad, he didn't yeah. seem to be on this crusade against homosexuals. It's just hey, it's just one of the rules of our religion. You're yeah. not supposed to have homosexual sex. You're also not supposed to lie. Cersei, you're lying to me. Going to jail, he, mm -hmm. it, you know. Yeah, he was telling his story and to her, and there was this kind of tense music, and then his face just changed, his expression just yeah, got yeah. really dark. When it really, like, I guess it was the point where he was getting ready to kind of spring his trap, and she hadn't, she hadn't taken the opportunity to confess or anything like that or tell the truth. And you could tell that Cersei's starting to realize that something is wrong, like her, she, she's swallowing a bit, she's kind of like shifting around a little. And uh, watching her slash friend Keith Robery points out that. Yeah, like kind of like you said earlier, we can all root for the rule of law being equally applied. That's something we can all get behind. But we can't get behind it being applied like this, and this specifically, like being punished. Someone being punished for being gay is like, no. Yeah. Or lying to protect somebody from something that's unjust, like being prosecuted for being gay. You can understand why Marjorie would lie about that. But the High Septon, of course, does not, he's not down with that there's no excuses in his mind <laughs> well i there may be no excuses but he did seem to say there's room for uh understanding and forgiveness remember when cersei was kind of prodding him he's like well depends on the situation uh, even olena pointed out like you're mad at my son because i mean there's all kinds of people having all kinds of crazy sex what is it about my son and 
or my grandson and my granddaughter just trying to protect her brother i mean yeah she lied but is, is it that crazy that she's trying to protect her own brother you gotta understand this and so later on when cersei uh is asking him like what if one of them confesses what if they ask for forgiveness he's like well it depends they'll that they, you know they could get the mercy of the mother you know it, it depends on the situation depends on what they did depends on how they handle it and it's it seems to me like there's at least some out for and now it might be some awful marjorie still might like get publicly whipped or something like that yeah his, his but, idea of lesser punishment might still be extremely yeah. severe and harsh it just uh, might not be well you won't be tortured to death yeah but, <laughs> but i wonder i wonder what it will be so far they seem pretty like zealot fanatical but he also was like feeding poor people he also seems kind-hearted on some level he doesn't seem like he's an evil warmonger he seems well, concerned sure with justice well, and he I'm... might have a skewed perspective of justice but even someone with a skewed perspective of justice i think still has an understanding of forgiveness and understanding you know? i'm gonna pr- 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 uh, maybe look at that a different way i'm not sure he's kind-hearted i think he's a zealot and he, what that means is he follows the teachings of the faith and the faith say that you take care of the poor i don't think he's doing it out of the just like he's not doing awful things to marjorie and loris because he's not evil i don't think he's good for you know giving out food to the poor i mean it's a good act like judging it like that it's a good thing to do i would i, I see I, what you're know. saying though. but yeah. i don't know that he's doing it out of goodness i think he's he's yeah. just this is what the faith this is the this is our doctrine we I'm I follow the doctrine what if george r, r. martin is going to release the 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 oracle of the seven pointed <laughs> stars or whatever, whatever their their seven point star yeah yeah have that as a full text, like, ooh. Are there any cool. excerpts of it? And there's like a book for yeah, the Meisters? Or there's, there are one? some excerpts from it throughout the books and in the World of Ice and Fire, but nothing close, remotely close. Have to you done it. an episode on that? No. Not to this point. That would be a good one Just to saying. do. It's true, yeah. <laughs> well, we have our religion and magic series. And okay, we do I'm have, sure you cover a lot of that. We're, well, we haven't gotten to the faith yet. We've mostly okay. been focused on okay. other types of magic. To this point, we've mostly focused on the old gods and the magic of the north so we'll we'll be getting to that at some point so look out for that in the future folks definitely an episode on the faith faith the seven and how the religion works a little more um need for that at this point huh <laughs> so okay, we're, we're approaching the end of having covered it all right there's, there's yeah. a couple points i missed earlier and one, one point still kind of where we're talking right here i wonder especially the way you you're got you got me looking at it like little finger was telling Olena that he has set up Cersei to go down by delivering Lancel, I guess, you know, whether or not Lancel... Or somebody besides something Lancel, before, yeah. Maybe something else. Regardless, I'm wondering... I was I was wondering before, is Olena better off now than she was before? Are Marjorie and Loras better off now that, now that Cersei's been arrested and put in jail? Because part of me feels like there's some element of revenge is being taken there, even if it's not actively being taken for the sake of revenge, although maybe it is. I think if Littlefinger had a a, a, key, a hand in this, I think I see where you're going with this. And revenge seems to be but, a silver lining, maybe not the whole point. Right, right. But uh, the thing is, it it seems like he's serious. There's not Elena doesn't have like some some political move or temptation of money or position or something that's gonna like save her grandkids. He's gonna arrest the queen. He's gonna punish them too. And I. I don't know what her outs are now, or what 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 is she gonna do? I don't know. I don't know she, what Elena's gonna do, but I will say that I think that it's. Cersei, with Cersei on the loose, she would undermine any sort of attempts to subvert the trial. She would make sure the trial goes forward the way she wants it to. Right. So at least right. this keeps Cersei from meddling. Yeah. So if they're going to find a way to rescue Loras and Marjorie, at least they don't have to worry about Cersei, you know, kind of counter-espionaging them. Yeah. So there's at least I guess that. it's not beyond Littlefinger and Lena conspiring to poison the High Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And you got to think that Littlefinger... 
Littlefinger wants a weak ruler in place. He doesn't want some strong ruler who's going to like get in his way and keep him from doing his the things that he does. He might kind of like Tommen being in in, in charge because Tommen's a weak ruler, yeah. and he might likes he might like Cersei being in charge because Cersei creates all this chaos and screws things up, and Littlefinger yeah. thrives on that. So, this could be yet another one of Littlefinger's games where he really is also just going to throw the Tyrells under the bus because he's yeah. he's got his own. <laughs> I fear for that. I hope that doesn't happen. I like all the Tyrell characters. Yeah, yeah, like, and they're really in a precarious spot right now. Mace is, doesn't even isn't aware any of this is even happening, yeah. and she and he's got this Kingsguard that might kill him and the the two the two heirs to Highgarden Loras and then Marjorie with the next heir are both you know in a very precarious spot where the execution could be what they're faced with yeah it's not good I didn't even think by the way he's not exactly one of my favorite characters but he is kind of a key character what would Marin Trent do if he showed back up right now like all right I dropped Mace off at Bravo sent him back Cer- Cer- where's Cersei <laughs> oh oh Tommen, what do you want me to do now? I'll just do whatever you want. I wonder if he would advise Tommen to do something, or if he would like barge into the Sept and hack down the Sparrow. I, yeah. I, I wonder. I wonder uh, what. Yeah, Marin. That's a good point. Marin does seem to be under, uh, under Cersei's her toadies, really. Yeah. Yeah. How loyal is he truly, or <laughs> how is he just doing what he has to do? Because otherwise, he thinks he'll get executed by Cersei. You know, what is he? I don't know. We touched on Kyburn earlier. He has his yeah. this this monster. Under the sheet that's Gregor Clegane's body, apparently. Yeah, I was going to What's he going to do? Yeah, I was thinking, too, when I started pondering earlier, Pycelle might be in trouble. Like, if he's been in those brothels, too, he's not necessarily... I, I feel he oh, might I be in trouble about for that. the faith, too, right? Yeah, <laughs> who knows what other kind of corrupt, corruptness he might be associated, so, associated with. <laughs> Kyber might be in trouble, also. I imagine some of this experimenting-type things he's oh, yeah. done is they not going to be... like this black magic sort yeah, of thing. No, yeah, so... And... It, yeah, I don't, oh man, no, Tom and yeah, Lightning is just happen, yeah. like woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wonder if I was fired up to talk about this episode. We saved this topic for last, but yeah, it is it is pretty uh, awesome. I really excited. Uh, before I forget, I do want to go back. There's a couple just quick notes I wanted to make earlier. Okay. Uh, it's a real quick thing with Sansa and Ramsay there. Mm-hmm. When Sansa was kind of like throwing those daggers, I was thinking, man, Ramsay had to go through a lot more trouble to get his dig on Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> Sansa had a couple quick whips. So Ramsay had to like. Torture someone to death. He had already done the, you know, yeah. uh, well, you're, you're talking about her family being dead, you know, 12 times previously. <laughs> His quiver was a little empty there. You know, yeah. He's just resorting to, all he's got left is just, you know, abusing her. Already. Yeah. All right, but we're going to, we can we can keep covering your questions here as well. Um, okay. Your, your backups, will, first of all, we're also going to, as well, throughout this, we're also going to do some watching her questions in the meantime. So let's let's do these first, and okay. then some of them, because some of these might touch on some of your okay, questions, yeah. and we'll see if that that uh, if any of those coincide. If you're looking for a simple way to support the show, you can always do a straight PayPal donation. Go to historyofwesteros.com, click on the donate button. The most common amounts people seem to do- want to donate is five, 10, 25, or 50. Those are the most common amounts we receive. We're happy with anything, anything you can do to support the show. And all the, all the rest of you watchers will, will always appreciate anything anyone else can do because, hey, anytime someone supports the show, that makes improves the, the long-term quality and frequency of our episodes. So it isn't just we who appreciate it. It's everybody. So thanks in advance to anyone who has or will donate to History of Westeros. Now let's talk about these Watchener questions. Uh, Kevin Sean McDee wonders, what if Doran sent the necklace to cer- prompt Cersei into doing something rash slash foolhardy, and maybe he's working with Varys 
in in an effort to do that. Maybe to they're, they know that Cersei is kind of a loose, uh, you know, on a short fuse, and they just want to find ways to trigger her and make her do stupid things. Because we were obviously that's in a topic we've been discussed discussing over several yeah. of our episodes this year is who sent the the necklace. Well, there's reasons to think that. It was Ilaria, there's reasons to think it was Dorian, there's reasons to think it was Littlefinger, or somebody entirely else. I've been assuming it's Ilaria, and I don't know much about Dorian, but so far it doesn't seem like what he would do. He seems to be more concerned with peace and stability, and it doesn't seem like he would want to rile up something like that. But Ilarius, on the other hand, seems riled up already and would want to like uh, <laughs> instigate something. She actively is trying to start a war, right? So it makes a lot more sense, I think, for her to do it. That said, doesn't mean she couldn't be in cahoots with Varys. That was one of the other things I was going to say is, wonder if or when Varys is going to show up at uh, wherever Danny is. I feel like news of this dwarf traveling around, being presented as a gift, that might get around. That's the type of thing Varys might find out about. That's might true. give him a direction to go in, you know. That's it might make point. more sense for him to show up with Danny after this revelation. Now, watching her egg on snow, <clears throat> along similar lines, at least along the same plot line, when J Doran and Jamie eventually have a discussion, assuming that'll happen, which I think is pretty likely, we could see this whole Marcella getting sent home situation, where maybe Doran will agree to send her home in an act of contrition and an act of false, false overtures towards alliance, but actually because he wants to marry Danny to his heir Tristane instead. I think that's a, an interesting possibility. Do you have any thoughts? Any thoughts on that? I mean, I suppose that's a possibility. It's not something I considered, I, but I don't know. Huh. If Doran is Doran's doing his patience. It seems like there's a what, lot of happening. new stuff that would have to be brought in, which we have a couple more seasons to go, but yeah, that's a possibility, but I don't uh, it seems like, like some coordination would have to be made with Danny for him to be doing this already, and Danny's already marrying some of the guys. Well, the, I, I the, don't know. the it wouldn't be in it wouldn't be that he has had dealings with Danny. It would be that he's had dealings with Varys. Right, he's I see. He's clearly been see. supporting Danny or who said yeah. Tyrion that anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's who he would have been working with, potentially, on something like that. So that's interesting. That's an interesting idea. I definitely think that's possible. We talked about this possibility before, about the possibility of Tristane and, and Danny instead of Marcella. Because if you think about it from Doran's point of view, the Lannisters are a spent force. Cersei's now in jail. All this, all these bad things are happening. Why would he want his heir married to Tristane at this point? Because they're or married to Marcella. Because they're in love. Right. That's a, <laughs> well, that is a good reason. But politically, there's, it, there doesn't seem to be a good reason yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Especially if um, Cersei continues to, if she loses her throne or her head or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so what other comments did you have? If you want to hear our trailer discussion, we will be discussing it in our Book to Show episode, so you can look for it there. We'll maybe even go into it a little deeper there since we're not doing it here at all. There, there is one thing I wanted to say. We talked about it quite a bit, but there was one key line with uh, Stannis, the potential of what's going to happen with Shireen, when he was talking to Davos, and Davos said something along the lines of, this is not our time. We shouldn't risk everything. And Stannis says, this is our time, and I will risk everything. <laughs> and I wonder, everything? Is, <laughs> yeah, are you a Shireen? Is Shireen part of everything? <laughs> uh, I hope not. Yeah, but, well, uh, I really hope not. That is, Do not want Stannis to burn his daughter. That would suck. <laughs> and, and the one other comment that I wanted to make, which was uh, I, I appreciate it at the moment, as sort of a clever transition. But after the fact, started wondering if it just caused more confusion. But then it made me wonder, well, maybe they meant to be causing confusion. The scene in the north when Theon's like going across the courtyard and it cut to a candle burning. Yeah, and they cut to Brienne and a candle burning, but then we're with Amon and Sam. That, that whole thing, I, I, <laughs> I appreciated that 
technique of transition of scenes. Uh, but I also am frustrated by it because I, it makes me confused about what's going on up there. <laughs> <laughs> but I can also appreciate maybe they're trying to generate some confusion about what's going on out there. We'll see. Right on. Now, watching her, uh, I betching points out that the, this is something from the previous episode. The game of faces. This is a this is a nice little parallel. The game of faces slash the line game that Ari was playing with mm-hmm. both the Waif and with Jake and Hagar is actually kind of similar to what Tyrion, Bronn, and Shay were doing in season one with their drinking line game. Oh, that's right. How about yeah. that? That's a nice catch. Good job, I betching. Very nice. Now, watching her, Bill Coopland wants to know about your drinks, Sean. You he, there's been a lot of comments about how you like to drink from jars. And how you've had these different colored, interesting beverages. Another watchner, Ed Shear, even captured an image of you drinking out of a jar and, you know, wanted, made a joke about... You stole my jar's soul! <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Bill Couplin wanted to know, maybe we should do a feature. Suggested that we do Sean's Drink of the Week feature there. Well, what are you drinking this week, Sean? Is that... Uh, this is a classic blend here in Atlanta, Coca-Cola. <laughs> well, I've, I've never heard of never heard of that one. That's that's not a drink. They don't have coca in Westeros. I they don't have it. chocolate either. Or Do they coffee. actually not have it? There's no coffee or chocolate in Westeros, in Westeros. or in the world of uh, not in the world like, at is all. It in Essos I don't think Bravos it exists. Or, in, well, no. we don't. We haven't seen the whole world, but it does not exist at all that we know of. Someone not anywhere in the world. Get on that magic. They're not really using their powers to their full potential if they don't mm. even have chocolate. <laughs> right? Yes. Would you rather have dragons or chocolate? I understand it might be close, but can, in we, the have, end... can we have chocolate dragons? <laughs> yeah. Dragons that breathe chocolate. <laughs> chocolate breathing dragons. Yeah, it's, okay. like, it's like liquid chocolate spewing. Someone totally the... needs to make a fountain. Dragon, <laughs> Dragon chocolate, chocolate, chocolate fountain. fountain. This is what we're discussing instead of the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, if people are really interested, I do have a quirk that I like carbonation, but I also like juice. And so typically I have like. A Mountain Dew and a juice, you know, mixed together. That's often what That's my drink is. That's why these weird so, color. That's why yeah. your drinks these have these weird colors, huh? Well, you never know what people are interested in. So, uh, you know, if people want to know what you're drinking, they have questions about your drinks. I'd rather than be happy with my awesome that. shirts. This is, yeah, uh, there we go. Bron nice bronze and a track shirt. '80s garb. That's right. That's the old. That's the infamous and talented Mike Robel, uh, also known as Mochi Kun, who has a lot of these amazing '80s. Game of Thrones shirts. I've got one myself that you all have seen, my Tormund shirt. And Shea has got several of them that are really excellent. So check him out. He is. We're not affiliated with him in any way. We don't make any money off of advertising his shirts. Although maybe we will someday. We're looking into it. But he's a great member of the community, providing a lot of great art and fun stuff. So check him out. All right. Let us... Thank our Patreon supporters, Hand of the King and First Lord, Cash Craig, a.k.a. Vaxis, on the History of Westeros forums, Warden of the North, and newly married, congrats, Lord Parker, the Bastard of Starkville, Breaker of the First Stone, Wardens of the South, West, and East are still open, our borders remain undefended, Master of Coin and First Counselor is Lord Robert Jacobs, Master of Whispers is Lord James Scholar, Grandmaster Itai wears the jeweled crown of many medals, Rosie the Clever is our Master of Laws. Lord James Tuttle is our Master of Ships, a.k.a. Grand Admiral. The History of Westeros Night's Watch Lord Commander is George the Golden. And the History of Westeros Kingsguard commanded, is commanded by Lord Commander Shepard. We have a new opening in the History of Westeros Kingsguard. Check out www.patreon.com slash historyofwesteros 
for information on how to sign up for Patreon and pledge monthly support, receive benefits like episodes early, your name mentioned on the show, access to scripts, all other kinds of fun stuff. We're looking at adding more benefits, and we're about to release a chapter analysis on the winds of winter. Some Patreon supporters have had that for a week. So look out for that soon. Sir Troy the Steady swings the Valyrian steel blade fate as the history of Westeros King's justice. Lady Dyerliz of Castle Naki is the Alpha Patron, and Lord Nathan of the Firefort, and Dan of the Red Mountains, Lord of Great Bell, and Breaker of the Second Stone, also provide lordly support and advice to History of Westeros. Another way to support the show is to go to historyofwesteros.com and click on the link in the bottom right entitled Play Fantasy Baseball with Aziz. That will allow you to sign up with DraftKings. They offer a deposit bonus of up to $600 in matching value. You have to play a bit to actually earn that money, but it's a nice bit of um, extra value, extra money for your entertainment dollar. Lots of fun tournaments on there. You can also play for free if you just want to check it out and see what what the fuss is all about. Daily Fantasy, you draft a team based on a preset amount of virtual dollars, and you let them play. You see the games for that evening. Get to draft a new team the next day. You can draft multiple teams in the same evening. And it's not just for baseball. They've got soccer. They've got hockey. They've got NASCAR. They've got football. Well, it's not football season, but when they do, it's on there. There's fantasy golf. It's crazy how many different sports they have. They even have, I think they even have UFC, or they're going to be having that soon. And they're actually an official partner of Major League Baseball and probably some of these other sports as well. So, legit as it comes, good way to support the show along the way. So that's all for today. Thanks again, Sean, for joining us. House Beard, well represented at History of Westeros. We will be, of course, putting out our Book to Show episode. That should be available in video form on Wednesday and iTunes form on Thursday. And we'll be back to discuss the with another show review next Monday as we move on to Episode 8, which title I did not look up. And maybe it's best not to know the title, because sometimes the titles are spoilery. So, from Sean and myself, see you all next time, and Valar Morgulis.